Hello, and welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your co-host. I am sitting here with Paul Farrell. Paul, how are you? Doing good, man. How you doing? I am pretty good. I missed you, sir. We uh, we took a week too, off. Man. We're uh, we we did a bit of a little bit of an experiment. I don't know if you listened to it. We had Scott Foy on doing a kind of a third leg, as it were, of the uh, the the Scream Addicts line, as it is now. We have Scream Addicts Original Recipe. We have Scream Addicts Hammer Pub, and now we have Foyerism, which is going to be a monthly kind of thing. So, Paul, I think we're still going to be knocking out about three Hammer Pubs a month. If that's okay by you, that's fine by me. All right. I I thought about. You know, I I kind of like the idea of doing different shows with different, you know, kind of approaches. I haven't done the original Screamatics in a while, but uh, I don't know. I at this point, I don't know about crossing the streams just yet and doing a crossover between Foyerism and Hammer Pub, where both of you could be back together again. But then again, I'm thinking about it. Like literally, just an episode or two before that, all three of us were on. So you know, <laughs> people have that option if they want to go back and listen to that. I don't even remember what the movie was at the time, but uh. I don't know, man. Last week's was uh, something. The Death of Ocean View Park. Have you have you seen that movie, Paul? I haven't. I listened to the episode though, so uh, I, I experienced Foy's perspective. And after watching the Beach Girls and the Monster uh, <laughs> the other week, uh, I, I can only imagine what I'm in for. <laughs> you can only imagine, Paul. Yeah. Hey, Paul. Guess what? What's that? I found out something last week. Do you know? what the owner of a pub is called. I do not. And you'd think I would, given the title of this podcast. Regrettably, they are called publicans. Ooh. Not a fan of that. Yeah, publicans. I don't know. There's something about it. Like, I don't know. You you go into your local pub and you order a drink from your publican. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I like that. We can workshop that. You know what? We're we're just going to forget that that ever happened, Paul. I'm not going to... Yeah, we didn't find. I'm not going to focus on that anymore. That, that's not a thing that happened. That's a terrible bit of trivia. Yeah. Why? Why the fuck did you let me even say that? Well, everyone. And you pretended like you never heard it before, <laughs> like you and I didn't text about it. But actually saying it out loud, it's well, like it was part of the bit, different. wasn't it? It was all like kind of a little bit you were doing. I was just kind of. Yes. We should have workshopped the bit, is what we should have done. Well. Fuck! I feel terrible. This is a terrible, terrible thing to start <laughs> off. Anyway, Paul. Yes. Guess what else? What else? We have a guest. I'm so excited. I am too. You did, Are you excited? You say that every time, but you don't sound excited. I am. I am. I'm very excited. My excitement right. comes through in, in my conversation later on. All right. Fair enough. Anyway, one half of Bloody Disgusting's Horror Queers podcast with co-host Joe Lipset and a writer for Bloody Disgusting and Consequence of Sound, Paul. Let's put our hands together in welcoming to the show, Trace Thurman. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I trust that Paul is excited. We've met before. I'm, We've met in I'm very person. excited, actually. We've, like, yeah. hugged and stuff. <laughs> we have. We're friends. And uh, I, I, I... Oh, sorry. No, okay. go, go, go. I just wanted to say that uh, you are... Your podcast is my... Like, one of my top three favorite podcasts, so... Ah! I listen <laughs> to your, so your voice all the time. <laughs> uh, I've always been told I had a voice for radio, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been told I had a face for radio. I don't know what that means. Oh, wait a second. No, I just got it. That's the first time I said it out loud. Damn it! <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to come out right out of the gate with a humble brag. I interviewed Bruce Greenwood and uh, oh my God, Carla Gugino for Gerald's Game when I did the uh, Fantastic Fest premiere. And literally, I leave the interview, and Bruce Greenwood goes, do you ever do radio stuff? And I was like, no. And he goes, you really should. And I was like, okay, Bruce Greenwood. 
Wow, that's pretty great. That is that that's pretty damn fantastic. I will say I I'm such a fanboy for the uh the movie, but even that aside, your episode for I Know What You Did Last Summer is mm. one of the greatest podcast episodes I've ever listened to. So oh. um so my hat's <laughs> off to you for that. Thank you so much. Oh my my husband was the guest on that episode, so he'll be excited I to hear the it. Three of you, I mean it sounded like I wanted to join in on that conversation so badly. Uh <laughs> Like, I was listening to it driving down the streets of uh, uh, Florida, like Sarasota, and I was just kind of like, oh, I did. All right, I'm not a part of this. It's so funny because that's a movie where um, a lot of, you know, serious horror fans, they they always look down on I Know You Last Summer because it's teeny bopper bullshit, quote unquote, and it's a scream ripoff, even though it's not. Um, And so I just feel very protective of it because it was a formative horror film in my youth. Yeah. I. I adore that movie. I really mm-hmm. do. I adore that's that movie. Great. I adore the book. Uh, you know, I even like the sequel. It took me a while to come around on it. Uh, I don't the se- know the that I'll ever more come like around an... on Always. <laughs> oh, Always sucks. Um, the sequel is more oh. like an 80s slasher. Yeah, no, I I, I adore that franchise. I do. Uh, always aside, I uh, I got to tell you, last summer we... Uh, <laughs> it was last summer. Uh, last summer we had on a guest... Um, who actually chose I Know What You Did Last Summer to discuss, and it kind of kicked off a weird sort of resurgence in my fandom where I went back and, you know, read the book and, you know, rewatched all the movies, always included. <laughs> yeah. uh, but also, I, I, I started buying, like, older editions, like hardcover editions of uh, the lowest Duncan novel because oh, I was cool. first printing. And, you know, I, I, I purchased it in my youth, but I rebought a copy of I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, which was just the published screenplay minus the, uh, the ending. And I... You guys, <laughs> I even bought the on set with Jennifer and Brandy, like tie in movie guide that was branded. I still know what you did last summer. What flipped through it, wow. not made for me at all, but I needed it just because it was. I even bought this independently published spoof comic called, um, oh god, what was it called? It was something, something. Know what you did last summer, and it's just like a complete spoof of the first movie, but it was published by some indie publisher. So I have this weird, I know what you did last summer, like collection going right now because I'm such a nerd for that series. But uh, and I'm completely unapologetic about it. I I adore that first movie, and I adore the book, and uh, I'm very curious to see what the Amazon series is going to be like. Likewise, I, I'm in the same boat, and I, I mean, I I I. I cannot sorry my love for that first movie cannot be understated like i just i love the first movie so much it's so good the score is amazing there's some fantastic set pieces and it's actually a character focused slasher movie um which may slow down the pace for some too much because it's not body 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 but i respect it actually for that no i did too and uh the moment that COVID is over, I've uh, before I go back to work, I, I'm I'm committed to driving up to North Carolina and checking out some of the uh, filming locations. Oh, man, go I to Shivers. <laughs> really? I yes, yeah. Although it made me sad, the uh, apparently the department store that uh, acted as well, the department store in the movie is sadly, uh, I think COVID took it under. So uh, it'll have no. to be just a uh, checking it out from the exterior kind of visit. But still, you know, that sucks. Makes me sad, but uh, gentlemen, I I I I honestly don't know how we got onto this talk uh, with I know what we did last summer, but I'm wondering, shall we all choose a movie we've seen recently, a movie or two, and just uh, chat about it for a bit before we dive into the commentary proper? Yeah, Sounds good deal. Trace, what have you seen recently? Oh my god, um, <laughs> I I'm fortunate. I haven't done a lot of okay. So I, 
I've been too busy with my podcast, so I've been watching a lot of things for me. I'm actually about to go into South by Southwest, so I've been diving into screeners. Um, at this moment, I probably can't talk. I've only watched one. I can't really probably talk about it. Well, uh, when is this episode going to drop? Uh, Friday. Oh, yeah, I can't talk about it yet. Um, well, I will say, um, <laughs> I watched a movie called Paul Dude's Deadly Lunch Break, which is about a man who, it's a, it's a British film. It stars some guy. Um, but also it was Alice Lowe from Prevenge and the guy that played Colin Frissel in Love Actually and uh, a woman from the IT crowd. Like it's a, it's a very British cast. But it's basically about a man who's trying to do um, a comp- – he's trying to compete in a, comp- a talent show on this social media app called Trend Ladder where it's like, – uh, I don't Did you ever see the movie Spree that came out last year with uh, yeah, Joe – oh. Okay, yeah. So imagine Spree, but instead of an Uber driver, it's basically this guy that's trying to do a talent show – and five people basically prevent him from making it to the audition. And he gets so angry that the next day on his lunch break, he decides to go kill those five people. And he does so while live streaming on this trend ladder app. And it basically increases his likes and mentions. Because it's, it's like, oh, you're, you're never blank. You're the uh, 645,000th rung on the trend ladder. And as he kills people, he moves his way up the ladder. Hmm. So imagine a dry version of a, – a dry British comedy version of Spree that's without the Uber driverness and more with just a random guy. <laughs> I um, love that. That's, I, I need to check this out. What is this called again? It's called Paul Dude, D-O-O-D, Paul Dude's Deadly Lunch Break. It is having its world premiere at South by Southwest next week. Um, I don't know if it has distribution yet. I can't technically give my opinion on it because it, this episode will drop before the embargo list, but I will say that I liked it. Um, I won't say anything more about it than that. <laughs> eh, good deal. Paul, how about you? What have you seen recently? I, I was getting ready to say, what have you seen this last week? But uh, actually, it'd be like two weeks for you since, uh, since it's yeah, been a while. I've, I've watched quite a bit, but I'll, uh, I'll sort of summarize. Um, we kind of talked about it a bit off mic, but I, I should probably mention that I, for the first time, watched the Resident Evil franchise. Yes! Um, nice. Yeah, I, I had... Uh, you know, obviously, I've heard a lot about it. There's a lot of people on my Twitter feed that sing its praises. Um, so I picked up the Blu-ray box set a while back, and it just was gathering dust on my shelf. And uh, I decided to finally take the plunge. Uh, I had seen the first one uh, when it came out. Like, I think the last time I'd watched it was on VHS. Um, and I saw the second one in the theater. And that was it. So this was really felt like a fresh watch. And um, I mean, overall, I I thought there were a lot of fun. Um, I was really some of them really impressed me with the the amount of practical effects Mm -hmm. Um, like Mm -hmm. Extinction particularly has some very impressive makeup work. Um, and is also just a really fun movie. That one's we kind of mentioned it. And that's Russell Mulcahy, the director of Highlander. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it and it shows. I mean, mm-hmm. the everything about that film is just expertly crafted. Um, and it it really that movie just really moves, you know, every the the plot works really well. The 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 characters that they bring into that film feel more fully fleshed out than in some of the other entries when they introduce, you know, kind of random walk on characters. Um, and, and actually in a lot of ways that movie impacts the plot in a, in a bigger way than a lot of the other sequels do. Um, 
and 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 kind of has some long term ramifications. Um, you know, overall, each movie has its own sort of thing that I like about it, and they all. I mean, the, really, what makes those movies work is Mila jo- Jovovich. I mean, her performance, her dedication to the character, um, is just the through line that that kind of keeps those movies moving um, in interesting ways, and and just. I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun with it. I know this is stuff that, and I had my ups and downs with the franchise. I mentioned oh, yeah, the, wait. the do a do a quick ranking, rank them for us. Okay, okay. Um, all right. So it would go, it, it would go extinction for me. Then probably the first one. Um, then the fourth, which I guess is Afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like Apocalypse. <laughs> A bit more than I think Trace does. Um, Wait, but so I think I... Jinx, you like Apocalypse too, though, right? Uh, I, so so probably... my ranking is pretty much three, one, four, two, six, five. So that's uh, I. Oh I my god! Apocalypse. But you have five that low? Yes. <laughs> well, and, but, and but here's the, the thing. thing. Here's the thing. Five is my least favorite, <laughs> and I love it. Well, and that, yeah, like five, so five would be kind of low for me too, but it's almost just because I, I like them all. Like, I I think the only one in the franchise that I kind of don't like is the final chapter. That's the only one that I just wasn't really a big fan of. Um, I, yeah. So I'm with you on that, Paul. I'm totally with you on that. I, 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 again, that movie is a slap in the face to fans who give a shit about the franchise. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and even, even me. Who like just came to these movies? You know, I haven't been living with them as long as some of the fans had, and I even I felt that I was kind of like, wow, this is really, you know, not at all how this franchise should have ended. And it's and, and I think the the biggest problem is it's not what Retribution pro- Retribution promises yeah. a final entry that I could not wait to see. I was so excited that I had waited to watch these movies when that movie ended. Cause I was like, Oh, I can just put the next one in. I can just watch it now and see this awesome battle, you know, at the end of the world in the white house, the siege movie that it kind of promises. And then that movie apparently happened off screen and yeah. it wasn't, <laughs> and all of these plot things happened. Well, and, and like all these major characters that you've had for the franchise die off screen. Like, and it doesn't even, yeah. also, it doesn't even mention them. It doesn't even say all, oh, by the way, these people died. Alice is upset about it. It's just like <laughs> in <Right>. the future. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and so, and I, I just, I'm watching this and it starts and yeah. And, and you're not at that point. And I'm, I'm going, what, what happened? Like, I I almost wondered if I missed something or if I put the wrong disc in. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm kind of checking and pausing it and making sure like it just doesn't track with uh with everything that was promised. So anyway, no, I mean, but they were still fun and I I still had a good time with it. Um and I, Retribution is a fun movie. You again, we talked about this off mic, but it it does and I felt this too. It feels the most like a video game. It's sort of like level to level to level. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, beat this simulation and move on to the next one. And it's also plays as kind of a greatest hits because they they trot out characters from the previous films because at this point in the franchise like the cloning stuff is just every act there's like a whole new thing about clones and there's this clone and here's another version of that person so that way they're able to sort of bring back all of these familiar faces um in a way that felt like almost like what you'd expect in a final movie where it's like, Oh, here's all these characters from the first movie kind of coming back so you can see them again and maybe give their arcs or sort of try to manufacture an arc for them. Um, but it, it, 
I don't know that I liked that more than something like an afterlife or, you know, or the original where it feels more like a cohesive film to me. I, I do. I do understand. I think when I saw retribution the first time I was kind of like, that wasn't really a movie. Like <laughs> that's, that's, that's not a movie. That, 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 that's that's kind of how I felt. And, and, and it is true, but it's, the more I see it, cause my, I, I enjoy afterlife, but my problem is I actually find afterlife forgettable whereas i remember more like the opening scene of retribution is that like reverse opening where it's like oh the blow up on the ship that was cool yeah but but yeah i will say for both of you i am so happy that you to see some extinction love because yeah my ranking is three one five uh four six two um and i i always see so much hate for extinction because i think after two which is you know oh it's the most it's the most like the video games in terms of like content sure. people saw three and they were like, this isn't, they're going back to the first one. This is a shitty movie. It's zombies in the desert. It's not resident evil, but I maintain that if you can divorce yourself from the games and you just watch these as movies, which again, they're not really intended to be like, it's it, they're stupid movies, but I consider the third one to be a legitimately like good movie. And I think I consider that for the first one, too, whereas none of the other ones I consider to be legitimately good, but I still like them. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I would agree, I agree with that. Yeah. I, But I still love Final Chapter 2. I, yeah, it's not even my... <laughs> here's the thing. I don't even love the Final Chapter. I just... You know what it is, really? And this is going to take us down a weird, like, side path, but, but hear me out on this. Okay. Imagine having gotten five of those movies imagine mm-hmm. it ending at in the final moments of retribution right mm-hmm. and then mila jovovich just decided you know what i'm not playing this character anymore or if sony had been like you know what we don't know that the next movie is going to be worth it and then we were just left hanging cough cough underworld cough cough oh god yo you're so right um, i'm glad that I... resident <laughs> evil even though the ending is dodgy I'm glad that we do have a definitive ending for that character. Okay, but 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 we don't because it ends with her being like, "Oh, but the virus is still going on, so I'm going to ride yeah. off on the road and fight more monsters." Which means I guess it's an ending. But also, if they want to make a sequel, if this one makes a billion dollars, they can do another sequel. <laughs> yeah, they can. They can. They can. Uh, they're not going to. I mean, no. they're getting boot right. Well, like no, I, I, that's why I I am so excited for this new reboot we're getting in September because. A, the director I love, he's the guy that did both 47 Meters Down movies, and he did The Strangers Pray at Night, which he's you say about the movie itself, but it's 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 shot very well, and it's directed yeah, very well. it is. But, yeah. And he, the man knows how to do a set piece as well. And, you know, he's like, oh, we're adapting the first two games, and it's going to be very close to the games. And I'm concerned about combining two games into a, what is presumably going to be, let's say, a 100-minute movie. But I'm still really excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. I am too. I'll, you know, I, I, I was never such a massive fan of the games that I ever got upset by the, the, the film franchise. So I was, you know, with every, inevitably when a new sequel would be announced, you would, there would be a certain sort of, you know, area fandom that would just, you know, cry foul again. And dear God, when are we going to get our Resident Evil movie? And now they're finally getting it. And that's great. No, but, you know, but, no, but, but here's the thing. Those fans, I can guarantee, I can guarantee you, even if this movie is amazing, <laughs> <laughs> there are going to be fans that are like, not my Resident Evil, oh, me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, just me. Because the first, the first Anderson movie works well 
Because he's like, oh, it's a prequel to the games. Now, granted, it's not really the prequel to the games in the game canon. And I say this as a lover of the games. I- I've actually been going through a replay of the whole franchise um, of the main entries before the eighth game comes out. But, like, it, it it's kind of fun. It's like, oh, okay, the first movie's a prequel to the games. Cool. The second movie is a bastardization of Resident Evil 2 and 3. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I remember reading back in Fangoria way back in the day. I think it was right after the first movie came out. Uh, he was sort of answering fan criticism by saying, you're right. Like he said, that the first movie was going to be a prequel. And then long before they were made, he said it was going to be a trilogy. Uh, the first movie was a prequel. The second movie was going to happen during the games. Mm-hmm. And then the third movie would be essentially a sequel to the games and it would wrap up that world. Now, of course, it kept going long beyond that, but you can kind of see in those first three movies, like that was kind of the approach, you know, yeah, uh, I, wasn't I, super faithful to the games, even at that, but I think it's because, so the first movie came out in Oh two. The second one came out in Oh four. This is before resident evil four came out and basically changed the direction of the game franchise. So we're dealing with explicitly like raccoon city shit in the games. Um, but then 4 comes out in 2005, we get Extinction in 07, which is kind of its own thing. Afterlife then starts taking things from Resident Evil 4 and 5, but, like, Cherry picks them. It doesn't make sense in the world of the movies. Like, when the Axeman shows up in 4, you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and that's a character from the fifth game, but it makes sense in that world world so i it's like yeah i get what you're saying like he wanted to be a trilogy but then it became its own thing because i think he saw the games evolving and just decided to cherry pick things from them to use for no fucking reason i i I you know the final chapter i think it's just a damn shame that we're never going to see mila jovovich face off against um super tall vampire lady because that's that's a movie i would watch Mm -hmm. amen so true I'm sorry, Paul. No, you're good. We stepped. Good. I, I, I we think stepped that's a good. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that finishes that segment. Am, am I getting <laughs> super tall vampire lady in the reboot? Is there any word on that? I want to know what super tall vampire lady's backstory is. Um, I'm is sorry. All. I want I want Mila Jovovich to play super tall vampire oh, lady. Yeah. yeah. Dear yeah, God, I'm in for that. Yeah, same here. <laughs> All right, uh, my pick. Uh, this goes back a couple of weeks, and Paul and I sort of had it out in texting over it. But uh, <laughs> Paul, we're uh, we're we're gonna have to talk about this again, pal. I saw Wrong Turn, two thousand twenty-one. Oh yeah. I. What were your thoughts? So, <clears throat> I really liked the first Wrong Turn. Uh, caught it in theaters. Previewed it back in the day at the movie theater I worked at. Loved it. Uh, I, I dig the hell out of Joe Lynch's Wrong Turn 2. I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. I, I I watched Wrong Turn 3. Worst um, one. I watched the first 20 minutes of Wrong Turn 4. Checked my disc to see if it said anywhere on the package that it was softcore porn. Which I don't have a problem with. <laughs> okay. But that's not exactly the movie that I signed up for. <laughs> wait, like it literally wait, wait, wait. opens. It oh. opens with... A Cinemax After Dark, like just wall to wall. I was like, "What? What? What? What am I? Is this okay?" So, it's fine. The, really quick interjection: the fourth one is not a good movie, um, <laughs> but it is the best out of all of the sequels after two. Like, it's better than three, five, and six. 
And it is, yes, very softcore porn, lesbian. Like, there's a lot of lesbian sex in that movie. <laughs> it's very bizarre. But I think in the opening scene, it's like three couples are having sex in the same room on three separate beds. Yeah, they're um, all kind of watching one another like, hey, what's going on over there? Like, oh, yeah. How are you guys doing over there? But Does anybody, fun, I think we're probably about finished here. Does anybody need a water? Like, But uh, it's fun snow horror. And it also has the best ending of any film in the franchise. I have not seen it. I, I sort of tapped. I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not a prude. The 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 soft core sex didn't run me away. But about 20 minutes into the movie, I was just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, no, guys, I don't know that this is the wrong turn franchise that I want it to be. And then, you know, I, I own the I'm a completist, too. I bought the Blu-ray box set and it's still sitting on my shelf. And uh, I still haven't seen five. I still haven't seen six. So, um, um, I, so five is terrible. Three and five are like, like some of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Six, six is not a good movie, but here's the thing. Six is a reboot. Six is a reboot. It does not exist on the timeline of the first five films. It is a totally new thing that involves a health spa. And there is some weird sex cult things. Like basically it's like a spa that's owned by this really attractive brother, sister, incestuous duo. And the whole plot is this guy has inherited the spa from a, a long lost dead family relative, and he goes over with his friends. And this incestuous brother sister duo try to like loop him into their plans because basically we learn that this spa funds the village that houses all the inbred Hilliker mutants. But there's also like this weird sex dungeon where there's a chair with stirrups where people can have sex on display for the mutants to watch them. It's basically a movie that's so bizarre. And it's so bad that I almost want to tell everyone, go watch Wrong Turn 6, because you will not believe what you're watching as it happens. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to do that's... a Wrong Turn franchise rewatch from uh, the beginning. It's what I'm going to have to do. I, I, I only watched 1 and 2. I, I've never seen anything beyond 2. I like 1 and 2. I mean, I saw the... I did watch this newest one. Um and uh, I, I liked it. I, I don't know. I liked the new one. I thought it was fun. Yeah. James, I, what did you I, think? I, okay, so I only bought it just because I was kind of curious. Alan B. McElroy, who wrote the original movie, came back to write this uh, reboot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the I haven't seen the director's previous movie, but I know it got some, like, you know, uh, decent marks, as it were. I, honestly, in my heart, I did not expect to like the movie. I really, really dug it. It surprised the hell out of me how much I enjoyed the film. Um, it was not at all what I expected. Um, mm. I love the... You know, I've seen so many reviews call it messy. You know, it's a shaggy movie. It's a messy movie. Like, there's there's so many unnecessary bits and subplots, and it's overly long, and so on and so forth. Honestly, as early as that opening scene, you know, the sort of flash forward with uh, Matthew Modine's father character searching for his uh, mm. missing daughter, and then we cut back, you know, it reminded me of reading like a mid aughts era leisure horror paperback. It's structured like a book, you know, it, it's got your prologue, your epilogue, and then it's not structured so much as, you know, like three acts in the middle, but you just have blocks of story that line up with one another. And I appreciated that about it. Uh, I, I love that journey. I love that it felt like a big sprawling tale rather than just the typical what we get out of these, you know, franchises like this, which is, you know what? Some kids go where they shouldn't. They run afoul of some bad people. Some of them get killed. One of them escapes. You know, credits. 
Yeah. I love that it had more on its mind than that. Not only the, the type of story that was telling and, you know, where it allowed itself to sort of digress at times, but you know, I've also seen reviews that said that it seemed a little confused as to what its own messaging was. And so, and I made the mistake of reading even a non-spoilery review before I watched the movie because I kind of had it in my head that thematically the movie was going to be a bit muddled. Once I saw it, I didn't get that at all. I thought the movie was kind of clear. It reminded me of a somewhat of a more sly version of The Hunt. You know, I, I think the messaging is fairly clear. It's just maybe, you know, people don't want to dig into ah. what the messaging is. I, I, I appreciated that about it. And, um... Which I don't know how deep we want to go into potential spoilers because I know the movie is only what it's it's I mean, on its second or third week on Blu-ray at this point. But without yeah, but without spoiling like a a bunch. I mean, like my my I do think it's I don't know if I want to say it's messy as much as I think it's underthought. I'm a mild like on it. I'm like a three out of five, maybe a two and a half, maybe a three. I don't. It depends on my mood. Um, I'm very much like. Uh, I, there's a chunk at the end with Matthew Modine that I don't think we need because we leave certain characters and skip certain journeys that I think we need to see to make some of the ending really make sense and ring true. Um, and I also have issues with the townsfolk that don't tell the kids any anything. They're like, oh, yeah. the, the roads are treacherous. And then Matthew Modine shows up and they're like, oh, by the way, there's people in the woods that are going to kill you. Don't go in there. Yeah, after they, like, beat the shit out of him. It's such a weird... Oh. The way the townspeople are handled is very bizarre. In the, yeah, that, that's the big, that, I think that's my biggest issue. Also, like, you know, woman showing up. Oh, here, use my womb. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and, like, so I should say, like I said, I liked it. Uh, I, I have problems with it. Like, it's one of those movies where I think I went in with pretty low expectations. Yeah. And I watched it and I was like, oh, this has some, like, really great set pieces. Like, that log rolling down the hill scene mm-hmm. is, like, so intense and the so darkness. great. Yeah, the darkness is great. And there's so many great, like, practical effects in the movie, which I wasn't expecting. And I and I like that it was totally, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, oh, this isn't my, you know, like, when they do a remake, this isn't my wrong yeah. turn or whatever. And I like that this was such a different thing than the first yeah. one. Okay, did it um, not feel like it wasn't written as a reboot at all? I swear, the, the original title was Wrong Turn with the subtitle The Foundation. The Foundation. Alan B. McElroy totally wrote a script called The Foundation. It didn't get made, and then I think he changed the title and sold it as a reboot, and people but, were like, ah, fuck it, why not? Here, here's the thing. The Wrong Term pre- franchise is not this precious franchise. No. And when, when, no. This, when, when, this, when this remake was announced, people were like, ew, who the fuck cares? No one cares about Wrong Turn. But now that it's out, people are like, oh, it's not my Wrong Turn. Where are the Hilliker brothers? Like, I'm like, y'all, you are the exact same people who were <laughs> bitching about this franchise continuing, and yes. now you're bitching about it not being the same as the original. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> Oh I do. God. Part of me People does want, so given big. the nature of the ending, I do. There is, again, it's weird to talk about this at length and why I liked it so much without delving into spoilers, but I, right. I will, I will stand firm. Um, there is a character remaining at the end of this movie that I wouldn't mind seeing run afoul of some cannibals in West Virginia in a sequel. Uh, or would the cannibals be running afoul of, that character i don't know but no i mean i I would sign up the final shot of this movie 
is like I think maybe even raised it a whole half star for me. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, especially because the the ending before that kind of does something really frustrating. Yeah. Um, you oh, know, again, yeah. we're not doing spoilers, but there's a really frustrating trope that it takes advantage of that I really don't like in movies and this it's it's kind of an egregious one in this movie but but it it kind of makes up for it yeah with with how it ultimately concludes but, i don't know and there, there's some other things like i i don't really buy some of the weird character decisions that happen like when like for those characters who do sort of end up at the commune and there's somebody who sort of like decides yep. to stay and be a part of it. It's like not well, really earned in the narrative. Well, I don't it, know. It, but, but I here's, totally bought that though. I, I didn't know this, but Alan B. McElroy is a 60 year old person of color. And uh, with that particular character you're referring to, I was like, okay, I feel like there's something there that maybe I don't understand because I'm not a person of color. Sure. Um, but I still don't think the character work was done to, to, yeah. to make that make sense. And at the risk of being the gay guy who's like, well, they didn't really treat the gay characters that well. Um, they did not treat the gay characters that well. Because, no, no, they did. <laughs> one exists solely to be the first death, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other exists to, he's basically Emmanuel Shrieky of the first film, which is fine. <laughs> um, people complain about her a lot because they're like, oh, she's whiny. I'm like, yeah, she just watched her fucking fiance get killed. Of course she's going to yeah. be whiny. Um, but the problem is that while they, while he is that character, they don't give him anything to do. And then once we get to the darkness, his, his existence only exists to suffer. And that's a bit of a problem for me. Not enough to where I'm like, oh, like this movie sucks. Again, I, I gave this movie a three out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like, was my rating too. I, I like more about it than I dislike, but the, the yeah. things I don't like about it, I really don't like about it. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. I, 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 like I said, it surprised me how much I wound up enjoying it. I, I, I gotta tell you, it's far better than I expected out of wrong mm-hmm. turn seven, essentially, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah. I would be very curious to see if, uh, if the franchise does continue with basically who's left, because what it's frustrating, those spoilers. Um, the fact that the movie starts out as kind of a, you know, there's, there's a mystery component to it and then it shifts gears and it becomes the movie that you think that you signed up for, which is you got a group of kids and they're going out into the woods and that's a bad idea. And here's why. But then you shift gears again and it becomes like, you know, a mild version of Taken with the father searching for his daughter. He has no special skills that I can see. I'm sorry, Matthew Modine, but I I would not trust you to save me. (laughs) Um, But then the movie shifts gears again into folk horror, which I think is that's when the movie like really I like the movie up until that point. But when it makes that change the movie becomes really kind of fascinating to me. But at the same time, even though you get, you get everything in this movie that you need out of that part of the story, you know, basically how it works, you know, what's going on there. But at the same time, it seems like there's a setup there for kind of a richer mythology to be brought to the fore than is actually there in the movie. And I wouldn't mind if there was a sequel that actually sort of kind of delved into that. Um, but that's the thing, which, you know, how do they choose to continue the franchise? Do you do you continue on with the, 
the the one hero who's left, or do you continue on with the weird sort of mythology that you've set forward in that movie? I don't know because I can't buy you ever bringing those two back together again. Yeah. So it'll be curious to see what they do with the next one, or if they forget it entirely and they just go back to West Virginia cannibals. Who knows? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. I, I so here's the thing. I will watch a sequel to this movie because it's intrigued me enough, and I would love. I would prefer a sequel focus on the foundation because I would rather have it fill in those holes that this first one didn't really fill in for me. Um, but I, yeah, I, I do see what you're saying though. Yeah. Like where, where, where these two things, I don't see them ever realistically coming together again. I don't see it. So I feel like it has to move on to new characters. Um, yeah. But I liked enough about this new one to hook me in for any potential sequel. Yeah, yeah. me too. I think that's fair. Gentlemen, I, I know we ran a little bit long just with our first choices. Do we do we want to talk one more movie that we've seen recently, or do you want to go ahead and dive right into The Reptile? I'm good with either. I mean, again, I have something on deck, but if y'all want to move on, we, we can do that too. Uh, ah, what the hell? Let's do one more. Trace, what else have you seen? Um, So I rewatched the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre this week. We're actually covering yes. it for our Patreon, so whatever. But uh, <laughs> So go subscribe to our Patreon or just listen to me here. But um, I fucking love the movie. I, I, it's one of my favorite horror remakes of all time. I think it might be one of the best. I think it is the best horror remake to come out of the 2000s. Um, and I love it. I think it's a fantastic fucking movie. I, I agree entirely. I remember... Uh... <sighs> You know, I <laughs> there was a believe it or not, there was a lot of negativity in the horror community way back in the early aughts. Um, you know, but the horror community was not back then what it is now in the sense of you know there wasn't Twitter, uh, so you know you would you would just have to catch up on message boards and uh, the letters columns, you know, in Fango. And I remember so many people were opposed to. The idea of Michael Bay remaking like horror classics and starting with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was bad enough that somebody was touching Texas Chainsaw, you know, but Michael Bay? And uh, I kind of bought into that feeling a little bit all the way up until the point that they dropped that first trailer. Mm-hmm. That trailer is one of the best damn horror trailers I've ever seen. It's one of the best uh-huh. cut horror movie trailers fucking ever. Um and I was completely sold at that point, and the movie didn't even remotely let me down. It It is drop-dead gorgeous uh, yeah. while doing that. I read a book – fuck, I forget what it was. I think it was back around 2008, 2009 that really sort of delved into not only the remake craze, but also the sort of a French New Wave you know, horror films that had come out. And there was a term that they used that has always sort of stuck with me since uh, – where they called it a beautiful bruise – you know, the sort of color palette and the look of something. And that's totally what Texas Chainsaw 2003 is. It's beautiful, but it also kind of hurts. You know, it's gritty and grimy at the same time, but it's so damn pretty. It reminds me of watching a Fulci movie where he would shoot absolutely horrible, atrocious things, but he would light them so lovingly and so invitingly, you know? Um, and so I think Texas Chainsaw is one of the, and it's amazing too that, you know, the guy who shot Texas Chainsaw 2003 is the, the same guy who shot yeah. the yeah. original movie and they couldn't well, look more different. Well, and that's the thing because people are always like, oh, well, it, it loses that gritty feel of the original. And the, the, the cinematographer, I think it's Daniel Pearl, was even asked that. And he was like, well, why would I want to shoot this movie again the same way? Like, <laughs> right. And, but, but that's the thing with remakes, right? Like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So like if yeah. you shot it the same way, people would be like, oh, they're just ripping off the original. But then this, the, the way it's filmed now where it's more cinematic and more polished, it's, which I actually, for me, I like the dissonance. Because what 
what I love about the remake is because the thing with the original, you know, people are always like, oh, it's so gory, it's so gross. And as we all know, it's not gory. There's barely a drop of blood in that movie outside of Franklin's death and then the blood covering Sally at the end. The remake is very similar. I went back and read reviews of the remake when it came out, and they were like, oh my god, it's the goriest thing ever. It's disgusting. It misses the complete point of the original. When you watch this remake, it's actually not... I mean, it is gore. It's gorier than the original because there is gore in it. <laughs> but right. it's actually not as violent as... I mean, sorry. It's not as gory as you remember it being. And I kind of love that it has that effect. It just it looks gross. You feel gross, which is something the original did. And it's one of the only remakes I've seen that captures that same feeling of the original. Where like they both make you feel just disgusting watching it. And it's all practical effects. There's no CGI blood in that because it was because Platinum Dunes is Michael Bay's way of trying to do low budget films. And I'm with you, Jinx, on Michael Bay. But the funny thing is that the DVD and Blu-ray come with a 75 minute making of documentary of this film, and it's shot during production. It's really, really thorough, and like it's it's almost as long as the film itself. Michael Bay comes off really well in this documentary. And he also made decisions and told Marcus Nispel, the director of the remake, to do certain things that actually work in the movie's favor. And it made me, I mean, not have a newfound respect for Michael Bay because I still think he directs like shit, but I think he produces, (laughs) he produces really well. So for that, I can at least give him credit for that. Yeah, and honestly, I, you know, even now, I think people, you know, before they existed, people were pot-shotting Platinum Dunes for what they were going to do, and, Mm -hmm. you know, long after the point that they sort of dropped horror remakes, people still knocked them for what they did, but by God, they did Texas Chainsaw 2003, which I think is great, they did the prequel, the beginning, which I know is not even polarizing, most people just fucking hate that movie, I think it's fucking fantastic, um, I, I, it's got a mean streak a mile wide, you know, it, it's very well made. They, it's every bit as polished and well made as the previous movie, mm-hmm. but even more intense and more horrifying, genuinely horrifying. Yeah. Um, it, I, I, so I, I rewatched that. I, so a bit, I rewatched the remake and then the original and then the beginning, like in a 24 hour time frame. <laughs> oh, wow. And the beginning is. It is definitely gorier. It's grosser. It doesn't have the same... It is polished, but it doesn't look as good as the remake because they have changed cinematographers. Um, What's funny is, though, again, going through... I mean, yeah, people hate it. Um, Going through reviews for the first movie when they're calling it, oh, it's callous, it's too gory, it's soulless, it's a pale imitation of the original. Um, Those critiques, I actually think, apply more to the beginning because the beginning actually tries to homage the original more than the remake does. Um, Like shamelessly because <laughs> they put the yeah. dinner scene in it like there's a bunch of stuff in it that's like like the more like the original i do agree it is very mean i'm shocked that it's a movie that went to theaters because there's a there's a face skinning scene that is one of the goriest things i've seen in a theater um it, to me it's yeah it's every bit as you know it reminded me of seeing a texas chainsaw movie for the first time when i was a kid like watching the beginning made me feel like a kid seeing a movie like that for the first time like yeah. i it just it, it felt like an assault, but you know it. If for no other reason than for that one, it kind of worked for me because it was so well done, and because horror movies so rarely shake me anymore, especially studio produced ones, especially yeah. ones in major franchises. And I remember sitting, you know, in a movie theater watching this film and just 
by the end of it being kind of shaken, you know, it certainly has its problems. I mean, the ending is fucking dumb. How the hell did she not see that hulking beast in her backseat? How the hell was he able to? With the chain, well, I mean, that's just awful. It, well, it, sure, it, it, but... it also suffers from prequel syndrome because it seems like they built the idea of the movie around how do we explain how Arlie Ermy lost his teeth? How do we explain how the old man in the wheelchair lost his legs? Like, let's answer those questions. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like, I mean, I'm not a fan of prequels in general and that prequel syndrome where it's like, oh, let's just fill in the holes that no one needed filled to begin with. I actually used to like it more on a rewatch today. I was very much like, ah, like I mean, I like a lot of it, but I also don't like a lot of it like i it doesn't have the same rewatchability factor for me as that remake does but with that you know with those two movies and then especially the amityville horror which i actually think is the best amityville horror movie oh yeah um I'm a out big of 19 fan. of them <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I love the i that's that's a remake that i think whenever someone says oh underrated remakes that's one i think about because i feel like it's not talked about very often it's such a great movie it improves upon the original because the original is not a good movie no it's not i agree (laughs) the the original (laughs) one is so boring (laughs) that original movie because it's got that beautiful 70s look to it and you know who doesn't love james brolin and margot kidder and you know it's a fun story because did it happen? Did it not? Is it true? Is it, you know? And then every you know, and it spawned all those sequels. But otherwise, yeah, when you look at the movie itself, yeah, it's it's it's. I wouldn't say it's terrible, but it's it's it's, it's just fine. It, it's, you know, there's nothing special. But I don't know. I don't think it really did anything that hadn't already been done. And and it's when I watch it now, I just I, there's nothing to keep me there. And I'd rather watch it's. I mean, I'd rather watch Amityville Two: The Possession because at least that's like bonkers. Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of what the first movie gives me condensed to like thirty minutes, so I don't have to wait. 90 minutes to get the same plot and then i get like crazy evil dead 2 level like demon stuff uh you know like mixed in there with with uh exorcisms and all kinds of crazy shit like i'd I'd rather have that (laughs) it's a much more entertaining ride but but the remake is is a great time and it's really well done and well acted and well shot it's yeah i i think a lot of the platinum dune stuff um is better than some people remember it and and i agree with a lot of what's being said about the texas chainsaw massacre remake um what i would say about the cinematography and and how it ties into the original even though they're very different i mean i think it has that same level level of urgency like like the whole movie you just kind of feel like tense and on edge and dirt like you said dirty sweaty um you you feel that visceral feeling that that both the original movie was able to evoke and um you know, I didn't love my biggest thing with that movie originally, and and this might just be like my personal bias for being a fan of the original was I, I didn't love like Leatherface being more of a Lackey. super power. Well, yeah, and then he also like is just this big, powerful, brutish sort of like. In some scenes, he's kind of like Michael Myers or Jason, where he's just unstoppable, um, giant, hulking force of evil that's coming to get you the slasher figure which isn't really how i always what i liked about leatherface like i I liked his vulnerability um and i i didn't love that that was gone but at the same time i you know all these years removed i kind of look at it and go well it's it's a different thing um and i can kind of respect that they deviated and and gave us a new vision as opposed to a rehash of what was previously there 
but that's again, yeah. that's your remake thing where it's like damned if you do, damned if you don't, because yeah. Yeah. it's either going to be too different or it's going to be too similar. There's no perfect balance, and people are going to be pleased no matter what. Whereas me, I'm over here like I like them both, so fuck all y'all. <laughs> and with those two, you know, I, with Texas Chainsaw, with uh, Amityville, and damn it, I'll say it with Friday the Thirteenth. Oh yes, uh, yes. Oh Friday the Thirteenth. A lot of fun, yeah. It's like fucking it. fantastic. It's one of my favorite ones in the entire franchise. Like, mm-hmm. Platinum Dunes, they did more good work with horror remakes than not. I mean, it, it smarts that I... And Trace, you and I talked about this on Twitter, but I am going to give The Hitcher another shot. It's been, like, 14 years since I last saw it. I only got it to one time. I, I Here's the thing. I actively dislike that movie, but... But I'll give it another shot. Um, it's it's not I hope great. It's just, it's missing the dread and hopelessness of the original. But as a as a but I'm also not one where I'm like, oh, I think the original is like this pristine. I mean, I love the original, but I don't love it so to where like I'm gonna be so fucking. I don't know. Nitpicky is the wrong word, but like I, I think the remake is dumb fun. It does not compare to the original at all in any shape, way, or form. But I enjoy why I think that it's fun to watch. That's fair, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I I do want to like it because I I you know Sean Bean as the Hitcher is a just a, a great idea, um, but um, yeah. So there's that, and then uh, then uh, the uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Well, that 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 was the death knell for them. Like I I went through a whole timeline of like okay, like what because again, Chainsaw made eighty million dollars domestically in two thousand three, and it spawned this wave of slashers and just general horror remakes you know you got the fog yeah. prom night hills have eyes all this shit and the end of it was pretty much nightmare on Elm street <laughs> <laughs> and i was i was so excited to see that movie all of the little bits and pieces we would get um you know the fact that watchman came out and then all of a sudden everyone was championing jackie earl haley to play freddie and then they cast Jackie Earl Haley. They listened and they cast him. And I thought that was, you know, brilliant. And then all these little bits, I think creative screenwriting was still a thing before the movie came out. And they published uh, just a couple of brief bits from the screenplay, which uh, I think the two that I remember were the uh, the Micronaps thing and also Freddie toying with a victim who had already died in the outside world. But he pointed out that the brain doesn't die for six minutes later or, you know, it just these little bits. And I was like, this is going to be fucking amazing. And then that first trailer came out, and I was like, oh, well, maybe it might still be good. And then I saw it. And I've, I've, you know, we were talking about being completists earlier. I do not own that movie on Blu-ray. I don't know that I could bring myself to buy it and put it on the shelf next to the original movies. I just, I can't. But but no, overall, I I think Platinum Dunes takes a bad rap. I think they did a lot of great stuff. And uh, I hope they get reevaluated at large uh, at some point. I hope, you know, people kind of look back on them a little more fondly than maybe they do right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, and that's what I was thinking, too, with the text chance. So, like, people hated it at the time. But, and I hate saying this, but it's one of those things where I think people will look back and be like, well, in retrospect, compared to all the movies that it, like, spawned <laughs> it's really the best one but I, that makes it even sound like it's not a good movie on its own but it is better than most of them like for me for me my top tier like remakes of that era are texas chainsaw the hills have eyes and i will go to bat for the last house on the left yeah no i think that's uh well final shot aside i think that movie's fantastic yeah and, yep 100 percent agreed 
Agreed. Yeah. All right, Paul. How about you? What have you seen recently? Um, other than other, Resident Evil, other than you did watch six Resident Evil six movies, Resident so Evil movies. Um, <laughs> I no, I checked out. Um, I'll talk about uh, the Fear from 1995. Uh, the new uh, Vinegar Syndrome just put it out. Oh wait, uh, wait, 1995. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, not not the Mark Wahlberg. Fear. I was like, uh, I'm thinking Fear from '96. <laughs> I was like, Vinegar right, Syndrome right. put out Fear. <laughs> no, which. I, I do love that movie, but no, not that one. Uh, this one was so the weird. The history I have with this movie is when I was a kid, I used to I I saw the VHS cover like every time I went to the video store, and I was always like really freaked out by the cover, and I never rented it. But I vividly remember the cover, and it's like it's like a wooden face looking at you. That's all it is. It's like a like a like a face carved out of wood with human eyes staring at you. And it just says the fear. Um, and I just, for whatever reason, it like haunted my dreams as a kid. And I was like, I can never watch that movie. Um, and so when vinegar syndrome put it out, I was like, okay, this is, I'm old enough. I can handle this now. And, uh, I finally watched it and you know, it's, it's a very typical vinegar syndrome movie, a very nineties video store horror fair. Um, it's kind of a cabin in the woods movie. Uh, you know, a group of teenagers, uh, retreat. Well, not teenagers. I should say young adults. Uh, they're, they're older. They're probably in their twenties, like late twenties and they retreat to this cabin. And, um, the guy, the sort of the main character is kind of a, a budding psychologist and he wants to have, uh, all his acquaintances sort of examine what they're afraid of and kind of treat this as a retreat. And this is the cabin where he grew up. And when he was young, apparently he had this like wooden man that he would like, that was like his friend, like, like almost like a doll, but it's like life-sized that his parents got him. And he would tell this thing what he was afraid of. And it would, it would sit in his room with him. Um, And, you know, when, when they sort of show you this thing, it's like very clearly a person in a costume with like makeup on, but it's utterly terrifying (laughs) because of just like how it looks and it's his eyes. It's just, anytime you see the face, the eyes just are terrifying because it's very clearly a person's eyes. Um, And it's very disconcerting. And what happens in there? I mean, a lot of it, there's a lot of like weird, you know, couple sex stuff and people cheating on each other. And there's kind of like a weird sort of like incest thing with a brother and sister and just everything. It's like, it's a kitchen sink movie. You know, they throw everything at the wall. There's even a really weird subplot about his uncle who runs a year round Christmas village, like in the nearby woods. And they like go to this Christmas village uh, throughout the film and it's just it, you get the impression that they just they they shot in the locations that they had and they just kind of wrote it into the movie um and there's some good scares and so, there's some good kills and it's real schlocky um i don't know it's it's a really fun kind of like friday night have a few drinks kind of movie um it's not you know some amazing hidden gem but i i have to admit i had a good time with it Nice. Uh, I my copy is on my way to me, so I just got the notification earlier today that my uh, my vinegar syndrome box is uh, is uh, in transit. So 
God knows how long it'll take to get to me, considering what's <laughs> going on with the post office. But I got my fingers crossed. Maybe this weekend. Woo! Yeah, I, I don't I, know, I, uh, Paul. I'm, I, I, that movie. I can't tell you how many times I came across it as a kid. You know, in the video store, like it just for whatever reason, I never picked it up. But it's it's probably one of the most indelible covers I I, I can remember from back in that time. Um, and yet, just never saw the movie, so I'm I'm very curious yeah. to see and. You, this yeah director's cut so you know maybe the first time i watch it it'll be uh it'll be the best possible way to view it so yeah i mean it's it's a it's just a fun i mean a lot of what vinegar syndrome does and a lot of what they unearth is just kind of fun oddity regional horror um and i don't know i just i have a soft spot for that i, I love discovering these things and especially when i have sort of a personal relationship with the iconography of these movies um you know i was i was not a horror kid but i was very aware of horror and i think that's one of the things that like draws it drew me to it later is that there were so many covers that i would examine and never watch and now and and that was always one of them so it was sort of one of my uh bucket list things was to finally go and check that movie out so i'm i'm grateful that vinegar syndrome gave me a a great way of doing that (laughs) that's awesome i can't wait um, yeah. Okay. So last movie real quick. I'll, uh, I'll keep brief. I caught, um, a movie called Dementor. Have either of you seen this? Oh, how is that? I've heard it. That's the Fessenden one, right? Yes. Yeah. Larry Fessenden. Uh, I don't think he produced it. He just appears in it. Um, okay. as an actor, he, uh, it was directed by Chad Crawford Kinkle, who did Jug Face from about six or seven years ago, which I absolutely loved. Um, Speaking of folk horror, like that's that's a great entry in that subgenre. Uh, this is his follow up, and it's it's he has a much lower budget that he's working with, but it actually, you know, in this case, it's kind of a virtue. Uh, the movie sort of it has a very sort of verite like documentary style feel to it. It's very fly on the wall. It follows a woman who uh, you get the sense that she has kind of escaped the cult. And she's trying to rebuild her life, you know, bit by bit. She winds up taking a job as a caretaker in basically a, um, oh, kind of like a skills center for uh, disabled folks. Uh, Specifically, the people that she works with have Down syndrome. And so at a certain point in the movie, she gets the sense that one of her charges, one of her clients is possibly being set upon by devils, which is, uh, you know, part of the mythology that uh, was instilled in her, you know, from the cult that she had been a part of. So she starts performing these arcane rituals that she learned when she was in the cult in order to try and protect uh, this, this, you know, client who has down syndrome and um, to say any more, you know, the, the movie isn't super plot driven. There isn't a whole lot to discuss there. It's a very, it's almost just kind of like a really grim kind of like angry tone poem of a movie. It's, uh, but it's great. It's, 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 it's just, a, a, it's a portrait of a woman who's dealing with trauma. She's at her wits end and she is doing her very best to help people and to try and put off her own trauma and, you know, uh, sort of what's haunting her by trying to help somebody else. But in order to do that, she starts doing increasingly alarming things in order to try and save somebody else. And where it all goes is, um, it's a very dark film. 
It's, uh, but it's one that sort of like, it really left an impression on me and, uh, it's not for everybody. I could see a lot of people, you know, uh, um, really, really potentially not liking it at all. But I, I, I think for folks who sort of have a taste for really gritty, very indie horror, anyone who would like some of Fessenden's glass eye picks, uh, I think will dig this movie. Uh, this is not a glass eye picks production, but Fessenden is in the movie, uh, not even for very long. You don't see him, but for a few moments sprinkled throughout the movie. And yet he, his voice and his presence sort of permeate the story. So, um, I really dug it. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to interview the filmmaker. One of my concerns going into the movie when, uh, when I was about to watch it was the fact that I thought that there was the possibility that could potentially be very exploitative. And as it turns out, the director, his, sister in real life has down syndrome and in fact she plays the the co-lead in the film as or so the movie is made with a sort of sensitivity that i was i was very appreciative of and uh yeah it's great it's 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 a wonderful window into a world that i felt like i haven't really seen represented anywhere before and uh and somehow, some way, he's turned it into a horror film that isn't exploitative. Uh, you know, doesn't exploit that world. You know, he's able to present it truthfully, but also make a genre film out of it, and one that has a big impact. I could see a lot of people maybe not liking the ending, which is kind of ambiguous, but I'll say no more until after you've seen it. But I'd be very curious to see what both of you think of the movie once you see it. Yeah, it's on my list. I'm, I'm very intrigued to check it out. Yeah, that that sounds interesting. So I'll I'll put it on my list. So now I'll have a chance. I mean, Rocko. There's oh, been sorry. so many movies coming out this year so far. So it's, yeah, it's a real hoot. <laughs> yeah, when have these movies been made? I there there was a pandemic last year, right? I I would have thought that there would be less content for us to sort of parse through. But I feel like I've watched more horror movies in the last year or so than. Uh, I certainly was expecting well, to. I just wonder if it's like, well, were all these movies just like where they made pre-COVID and they're just holding on to them? And now that people are streaming more because of COVID, they're releasing them? Or I, I don't I don't know. I have no idea. That makes sense to me. That's the only thing that makes sense, honestly, because otherwise, yeah, yeah I... Who knows? Uh, okay, tell you what, let's go <laughs> ahead and dive into our commentary of The Reptile. Now, listeners out there, as always, with every previous episode of The Hammer Pub we've done, go ahead and queue up your disc to the very first frame, whether or not you're watching it on Blu-ray or DVD or streaming. I'm just kidding. There are no streaming options available for The Reptile. Paul, I feel like I've said that the last three times. Uh, streaming it's, is one thing when it comes to It's a real... Films. Yeah, it's a real problem. Uh, that, Hammer, that, no. Hammer films are still... Yeah. That, that That's what it was for me. I picked this movie because I, I don't have any Hammer knowledge. I've seen like three Hammer films before this. And I was like, oh, The Reptile, it's about a snake thing. Sure, I'll watch that. And <laughs> yeah. nope, not streaming anywhere. So I own this movie now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank, okay, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's, no, I, mean, um... I, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird thing with hammer and it's, it's, it's a really a shame. I mean, it's one of the reasons I think that it's, it's not as that the studio in general, it's harder for people to see this stuff that they have to go out and buy a disc. You know, it's less likely that people are going to take that, that dive blindly. Unless you're hosting a podcast. 
unless you're yep then then you're just kind of stuck i mean <laughs> i am building one hell, you know a lot of these are upgrades but i find that i'm building one hell of a hammer collection doing this podcast because uh you know i when we watch them i kind of want the newest edition so i just i keep buying the damn scream factories and tossing the dvds but uh but yeah, no, I'm I'm digging it because all of the bonus features on the Screen Factory discs are usually top yeah. notch. Okay, let's go ahead and queue it up to the very first frame, which is let's see, it's a fade in to the words "Associated British Pathé Limited Presents." So everybody out there listening, let's go ahead and queue it up to that, and we'll do the countdown. Let's go ahead and press start in five, four. Paul, are you ready? I'm ready. We all ready? Okay, three, mm-hmm. two, one, and. Here we go. Okay, so normally with all of the previous commentaries, this is the moment when we remark on how cool the titles look and what we feel about a hammer overall. And uh, and golly, that's a pretty picture. And uh, <laughs> I'm just wondering, do you want to do that? Or shall we go ahead and dive into how astonishingly racist this movie is? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, okay, I'm sorry. Really quick, though, I want to say... I feel like the narrative of this movie would work better if this prologue wasn't here. Yeah. I feel like, the, is it supposed to be a mystery who the reptile is and who her relationship <laughs> is to Franklin? If it's not, then keep the opening. But I feel like it's supposed to be a, 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 a reveal at the end of this movie. <laughs> it, Paul, I think you you're right. Me, I, well, sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I'm a bad podcast co-host this week i did not do the recommended reading as it were i did not listen to the audio commentary i was wondering if you could tell me whether or not this prologue may not have existed in some of the prints of the movie because i will say this on the scream factory blu-ray there is a marked difference in picture quality between this opening and the rest of the film no i mean the the prologue was so the print that they had it's kind of interesting Funny enough, of all of the restorations that they had done, this print was actually in the best shape because it had been played the least and copied the least. So the print (laughs) they had on, yeah, yeah. So the print they had on hand that they did the scan for this was actually in really great shape, but they're not, it wasn't like an original print. So the the opening titles a lot of times, like the, the prints that they have in storage were sort of an amalgam of the best prints they had available. Um, and a lot of the times the titles were separated based on where they sent the print. So like they would have different titles they would attach to a print in the UK versus the US. So chances are what it seems like is just that the t- the opening titles that they had were from, you know, a mass distribution print. And then that they were just the only things they had left of those. And then the, the master print was the movie itself. But the opening, to your point, Trace, is really interesting because it was kind of a rarity for Hammer to do um, sort of the pre-title uh, prologue yeah. sort of thing. That that didn't really occur in many Hammer f- films, and it happened more in the later years of Hammer as they were trying to replicate what they thought was like the more popular trends of cinema. The other thing was uh, the uh, the director of this movie, John Gilling, was a big Hitchcock fan, um, and he saw this as sort of a psycho strategy where he thought, oh, well, we could sort of trick you into thinking this is your lead because he looks like a likely candidate. You know, he's right. he's older and he's statesly and he's handsome and this is probably your leading man. We want to trick you into thinking that he's going to be the guy you follow and then surprise you right away. Um, I, so this is this is kind of like our Casey Becker. This is our Drew Barrymore, which okay. in this pre-credit sequence. But I, I think I think 
if he was attacked by the rep the titular reptile in the woods <laughs> on the hill he's climbing on as opposed to in the mansion where franklin can come in and be like get away and we see the creature come and get him that would make more sense like if it was a, if it was something in the wild like if we didn't know it was connected to franklin somehow i yeah. feel like that would add to the mystery of the film whereas this just spoils it because the second that his daughter's introduced you're like well that's who that is I wonder yeah. how tight they were holding on to the fact that she she couldn't be cold, though, you know, later on. Like the, you know, when even a broken window can get her to sort of retreat and, you know, want to slumber. Well, I, Which is, I mean, I found... if you had to trade the two, I would, I would, I, Trace, I much prefer your idea. I would, I, I think that would be a far more effective opening. Well, and, and admittedly. Uh, this film was written, I mean, initially this was written by uh, Anthony Hines many years before this was made as Curse of the Reptiles. And mm. it was it was supposed to be, this beginning wasn't on that original script. The original script just sort of opened as the movie does after these titles. This was added sort of later once it went into production with the other three movies in this weird experiment that they did, which we've, we've talked about this on a couple of the other ones, but this was the fourth. So, you know, this was when they decided, okay, we got to run more economically. We're not going to be able to afford brace studios much longer. Let's try making four films in a matter of weeks, back to back to back using the same sets and the same actors. And this was the fourth in that ring. So like by the time they got to this movie, all the other three films had all gone over budget. So this film like had to be just completely rushed. They, they couldn't spend as much money as they originally anticipated. So like they, when they added this beginning, there was no time to really deliberate over it. It was just, well, the director wants to add this beginning on, he's just going to shoot it. And that's that. Um, so it, it really feels like some of this movie happened just because of the, the rush nature of it. And, and there was a lot less oversight to this versus the other three films that was filmed alongside, which was Rasputin, the Mad Monk, The Plague of the Zombies and Dracula, Prince of Darkness. But, but it was also the only film out of those to come in under budget when production yeah. finished, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You were right. Yeah. And well, and part of it was that it had to, and there was a lot of pressure um, for this movie to come in under budget. And and part of the reason they never did this again was because, you know, Anthony Nelson keys like pitched this proposal and how much money they were going to save. And they didn't save any money. It ended up costing <laughs> just as much as had they shot them at regular pace. And everyone's like, yeah, we're never doing this again. Can I just say here for a moment that Michael Ripper's Tom oh, Bailey yeah. is one of my favorite creations in all of hammer. I, I think this might be Ripper's best performance. He's, I want a spinoff film with Tom Bailey. I want a spinoff film just set entirely oh, in his pub. I wanted to say this, though, you know, because before, before I was introduced, you mentioned the publican thing. I learned that, too, because usually when I watch <laughs> a movie for a podcast, even though I've seen it before, I have the Wikipedia page up. And, yeah, I kept referring to him as pub owner in my notes, and then I saw, oh, they're calling him a publican. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I learned something new today. <laughs> it's uncomfortable these days. To call a pub owner yeah. a publican. Um, and we just saw we just saw John Laurie as Mad Peter, and he was cast because he's in the uh, he's in a Hitchcock film. He's in the um, the Thirty Nine Steps, I think. At long last, Hammer has a crazy Ralph. Yes, and he's you, great. I really like the makeup on the bite victims. I think that's done oh, really yeah. really well in this movie. 
Well, and it, I like that you bring that up because, again, th- there's a lot of weird things in this movie that aren't common in Hammer. And it's rare for Hammer to be, like, disgusting. like Because yeah. it's gross. Like, the black faces and the foaming at the mouth. Like, that is very, very odd for a Hammer film, especially at this time. Mm-hmm. And really, really effective. You could tell, like, even with uh, Dracula, Prince of Darkness, maybe less so with, I mean, Plague of the Zombies, you know, leans pretty hard on some of the horror moments and even though there isn't a great deal of bloodletting but the you know you think about the ritual that brings dracula back in prince of darkness or you think about the the makeup in this film you could tell that hammer is starting to push its own envelope a little bit you know we're not quite to the 70s yet but we're we're long past the days of curse and horror you know Mm. yeah it's very true george lazenby is great in this movie yeah, th- this movie has a lot of great like character actors. Yeah, wait, like, there's a lot I was of... I was kidding. Wait. That's not true. Okay, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how I did I miss talking. him? In I'm sorry. So, <laughs> I just kept going. Tell that, that, <laughs> not tell me that the man on screen does not look like the love child of George Lazenby and uh, 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 Roger Moore. Like he, this guy might have made a fantastic Bond at one point. Uh, this certainly wouldn't be the movie to get him that job because, my God, is he not the traditional hero, but still. Although this movie does have the same xenophobia that Bond movies have. Fair enough. Fair enough. Are, are we going to table that discussion until later? Do you want to dive? We should, I think just... we should get into it. Well, I don't know. It's up to you. I think, I think there's a part in the movie where it becomes really prevalent. R- racism right. now or racism later is the question. I mean, we can talk about it whenever you want. It's just, it, it's very much cultural appropriation and very much like, oh, the Middle East, that sucks. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of, honestly, there was a certain point in the movie, like, there's this unease to it. And then, you know, where it's like, oh, I wonder what's bubbling under the surface here. Is this, that's uncomfortable. And well, you know, movie made of its time, blah, 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 blah. And then when you get to the third act, it's just right in your face. And what well, blows my mind is that it's, it... it's... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, isn't it interesting, too, that if you think about it, right, Plague of the Zombies, which is what this was made back-to-back with, it has the same sort of British colonialism, xenophobic thing. But, like... but it's the exact flip side of this. These movies are... They sort of exist on the same coin, you know, just different faces. Like, Plague is... Plague is a movie about racism and appropriation, and Reptile is... Uh, a racist movie that seems to admire appropriation in, in various ways in this film. Uh, And they're both made by the same man. Yeah. I, 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 there's also that line. So he gives an ex, I mean, it's later to the end of the film, but he gives an exposition dump. That's very fast. in like the last five (laughs) minutes of this film, and there's one line that threw me when he's like, when his daughter goes missing, he's like, I thought she was just abducted by Chinese men. There was going to be a ransom coming in a couple days or two. And I was like, and that was normal to you? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the problem, is these people are still sort of, like, even though there's a sense of, like, oh, you know, we overstepped our bounds and we sort of broke the rules to try to take over the world in some ways. Like, you know, and that's why they're being punished. But then it's like, but the position the movies take is that the indigenous people are overreacting to the point of becoming evil. You know, like like that they're that it's not punishment they're receiving. It's like it's not justice. It's their evil creatures that we've wronged, and now we're in, you know, suffering the wrath of that evil, as opposed to, you know, them themselves sort of deserving what they get in in a way. But it, it's it's creating monsters out of this other. 
Um, and and it, it is, I agree, Jinx, that it is kind of disconcerting that Hammer takes such a conservative stance um, in these movies. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's xenophobic as all hell. Well, like, so is the mu- you... But so is the mummy, right? Like the mummy, Plague of the Zombies, they've done this before. Yeah. Plague uh, of the Zombies I don't think is. And you I... do have a person of color in this movie playing a no-name, literally a no-name character named the Malay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although for your James Bond connection, he was in the Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, was he? Was I he really? that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. He but, played but... someone named Mister Lazar. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, and I mean, Hammer didn't go in that realm too often. I think there's only a couple. Like like I said, I could only think of this Plague of the Zombies, The Mummy. There's probably something else, but those are the only ones that jump off the top of my head to deal with. Um, that's sort of like British colonialism and taking sort of a more conservative stance towards uh, their punishments for uh, transgressing. You know, I, I think it's acknowledging that they should be that there should be some sort of punishment for the transgression, but they're also saying that that punishment is so extreme, and they're again creating like these monsters out of indigenous people, as opposed to seeing them as equal human beings. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I. I see the punishment thing. I get where you're coming from. I just, and you and I talked about this. We were texting about it. I, <laughs> I watched it. Trace, I think you actually watched it before Paul and I, you watched it on, was it, if I saw the tweet right, Friday or Saturday? Oh yeah, I watched it on Friday. <laughs> okay, so I, I watched it on Sunday and I had texted Paul to see if he had yet watched it. And I think he was just, Paul, remind me if I'm wrong, you had just nearly started it. And I was like, I didn't say yeah, anything I other than it, just uh... like, okay, all right, just, uh, just let me know, uh. Let me know what you think. Because you said, I honestly you, said didn't know you were if I was... uncomfortable, and I was wondering where that was going to go because I watched it with my girls. Um, my uh, my daughters watched it with me, um, and Uh-oh. I was like, "Ooh, is this one I can't show?" To... Well, and there I you will introduce them to such filth. I did. I did. <laughs> well, and they watch. They love watching Hammer movies with me. They ask yeah, me whenever yeah. they hear I'm going to watch a Hammer movie. They're like, "Can we watch it too?" And it's hard to say no to that. <laughs> That's the coolest like, thing. N- yeah. None of these movies. I mean, again, like I've the only Hammer films I've seen. I've seen The Vampire Lovers, and I've seen. Um, oh my God, Doctor Jekyll and Sister Sisterhood. Is it Sisterhood? Yeah. <laughs> um, again, the, the queer Rob ones. Bates is so great. Um, oh yeah, I, I really enjoyed them both, but like none of like because they're not rated. None of these are rated by the MPA, but like none right. of them would qualify as R, would they, or would some of well, them? Well, some, I mean, some of the vampire lovers, ones, vampire lovers would. But yeah, that's I, true. I, but I wouldn't show them that. I mean, you know, they're ten. She's ten. The, my mm-hmm. Audrey loves watching these movies, but I show her like the nineteen fifty seven through nineteen sixty six hammer movies you know right. like where it was still because even this movie is I, this movie is a little more horrific than the normal ones and and what i was going to say is this was the first one that we watched where she was like really scared she it really? actually yes it, it legitimately scared her she was like what? she she was, was it the shielding her eyes or was it the corpse like it, the, it the bodies wasn't, it was the bodies yeah um and the promise of the creature in fact when the creature actually shows up she would she wouldn't look she was like closing her eyes i'm like audrey if you just mm-hmm. look it's not going to scare you as much but like you know it, it and i actually think the movie does a really good job of building tension um, you know, and so I think that affected her, but like, you know, when you watch, like I showed her the two faces of Dr. Jekyll, she loves that movie. Cause that movie's really intellectual. You know, there's not really a lot of like horror in it. It's just dealing with horror tropes in a, 
intelligent way and kind of dissecting these characters and, and, and everything else. And that's the kind of stuff she normally goes for. This was one of the more sort of raw, visceral, kind of scary Hammer movies that she's watched. And she still enjoyed it, but it, it definitely bothered her more. You know, I don't know that I would have showed it to her in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the only, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the only Hammer movie up until this point? Maybe period where, you know, you, you there is nothing to relate to in the, well, I won't say villain, but say the main threat in the movie. I mean, Dracula, yeah, he's oh. a vampire, but he also looks like a guy. Uh, you know, Frankenstein's creature, you know, yeah, he's a creature and he's stitched together from various body parts, but he looks like a human being, right? The the there's something just sort of unnerving and uncanny about the uh, the reptile in this where it doesn't really feel human anymore, but it's close enough that it just triggers that kind of uneasy feeling in the audience. I think where it's just wrong, you know. I I don't disagree with you. I I think for me, I mean, again, like I'm judging by like modern movie standards, but a mistake for me is like we we don't know enough about how Anna feels about her situation or if she even knows about her situation. Yeah. Um, and in terms of even the reptile being too human, I agree. I mean, not, it's not really human. I agree until it speaks at the very end of the movie. And I think that's Which a is, huge yeah. mistake. Well, it, and it really... kind of... That works for me just because it's kind of heartbreaking to me because yeah. that's when you see... That's when you see the victim and the monster. This, I mean, to me, it feels more like a werewolf movie than anything. Like, yeah, it, it feels it feels very much. I mean, it's very in the vein of Curse of the Werewolf, where you don't see the you don't see much of the creature itself, it, and and there's sort of this torn, cursed nature. There's sort of a family curse that has to be hidden, and there's a transformation. Um, so, I mean, I, I I looked at it more like that, and so when there's yeah, i mean when when she talks at the end I mean, that that kind of fits in with a the werewolf mythology or at least how it was presented in uh curse of the werewolf um and i don't know how much of that was in there but and jack jacqueline pierce i like her quite a bit as i mean she has this like curse sort of haunted quality to her in general i, I think she does a good job you know portraying what's there even though i don't know that the script does as good of a job establishing no, like what but, her character is supposed to be feeling. But she, but she gives off this kind of femme fatale like air about herself, which I like. Mm-hmm. I just wish the movie gave her more screen time to do it as yeah. opposed to yeah, Jennifer yeah. Daniels, Valerie, who I'm just like, Oh my God, die. <laughs> yeah. And there's some, there's some like really, I mean, there's always misogyny in these movies, but there's some like really overt stuff in this film too. <laughs> like where she's like, where they're like, oh, would you like to come have a drink in the bar? And she's like, oh, no, I have to go home and make his dinner, but he can go. You know, and it's just like, what yeah. What are we doing here? I, like, that... I, I also, there's a whole part of the end where she has to run back to town. And we hear earlier in the film that it's two miles. And I'm like, bitch, you did not just run two miles <laughs> to town. You are not even sweating. You are in pristine condition. <laughs> I will I, film, film the 30 minutes that it took you to run those two miles and put them on screen. I want to see it. <laughs> Paul, to your point a bit, and I'm not defending the uh, certainly where they were back then, but I wonder if how she's treated, if there was any sort of discussion as to how that's simply what would have been expected of that time. I And the only reason I ask that, the only reason maybe, I remember ages ago I watched the movie with a buddy of mine. Uh, it was a period piece, and there's a moment, it's set in the Old West, I forget what the film is, but 
you know, so we're like in the 1800s, the Old West, and there's a moment, it's this big stirring, like rousing moment where a younger woman stands up and basically lectures everybody else, all of the men and women in the hall sitting around them or the church or wherever the hell they are. And, you know, you see everybody sort of being thoughtful and considering what she said, and then that sort of changes everybody's minds and hearts. And my friend called bullshit on that simply because he was like, Tell me she, back then during that time, <laughs> she would have gotten five seconds into that speech before a man would have stood up, slapped her, and told her to sit her ass down, you know? Now, I hate that, but that's also the truth of that time, too. And I'm wondering, like, if, if Hammer ever had that consideration, or this being the 1960s in the UK, maybe it wasn't even a concern at all. Maybe they were just writing what they thought was something relatively contemporary, even though it was period two, when they had the woman rush off to make the guy his dinner. Who knows? Oh god, I'm I'm so this is like a not even a thematic diversion, but just like with the the there's parts of this movie too where like there's one scene where Valerie's holding a candle to light the room, but like it's clearly also the room is lit by electrical lights, but there's no electrical <laughs> oh, lights <yeah>. there. Yeah, <laughs> like where is this but, light coming from? <laughs> and and like the scene we're watching right now is is another like the day for night shooting in this movie is egregious. Like yes. there's so many sequences. Like this scene right here is like so very clearly shot in the day and then color graded to try to look like at night, and to the point where. <laughs> There's extreme shadows being casted by these characters, and we're like, th- this would have to be the biggest full moon in the, the say, history maybe, of the planet to cast the, the shadows moon. that we're seeing of these people. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense, and and it's it's done so often. I mean, most Hammer films have stuff like that, and it can be it can be charming, you know, in say, some ways. Char- but charming is a good word for it. Yeah, but like in this movie, it's it's what pretty all, what Victorian horror movie is complete without a candle casting its own shadow. I mean, <laughs> sure. I that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I love the Roger Corman Edgar Allan Poe set, so I'm right there with you. Like, I I'm I'm cool with that stuff. But it and some for some reason it's more distracting. I think it's because they're outside a lot in this film. And again, uh, as Trace pointed out, this one actually came in under budget, so you can tell like they just shot what they could when they could. Mm-hmm. Um, there was not a lot of like forethought, you know, I think the only reshoots they did was on the reptile makeup itself because apparently initially it was, it was incredibly poor, but I actually think Roy Ashton's makeup on this one is, is pretty solid overall given the time constraints. Oh yeah. I, I agree. think it looks pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Even now, the Trace reptile mentioned... itself looks good. Sorry. Like it, it's a mask, but it looks good. <laughs> it's creepy. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's. Yeah, the eye, right. The eyes are creepy. I actually really dig, um, and I know we're like hopping all around, but whatever. I really dig like the her shedding her skin too. I thought that was like a really cool touch, um, you know. And like, I think there's some there are cool things they do with with the reptile makeup and and sort of like the physicality of it. Now with Mad Peter here and his introduction, yeah. and I was joking mm-hmm. earlier about uh, Crazy Ralph, but come on, I mean. Mad Peter is totally Crazy Ralph. Um, just yeah. you know, before Crazy Ralph, he's t- it's, it's, you know the Miller Dracula the Dracula mad. movies could have used a Mad Peter. I it's think that would have been a cool, could... cool little addition to those films. But you plug plunk him down into any Hammer pub to tell you know, say a Jonathan Harker type that he's doomed. Yeah, and, no, that would work. But well, no, and it's say... also interesting that they kill him off so quickly. 
you know, like that they they really introduce him and make us like him. He's a he's a fun comical presence in the film that you sort of like hope is going to be there for a good portion of it, and he's basically dead within a scene. That's what I was going to say. This movie is. And it certainly doesn't last the entire film. I, I don't think it entirely dies with this character, but I was surprised at how damn funny this movie is at times in a very oh, sly yeah. sort of way. But Trace, I was going to ask you, I, I know you said you'd only seen a couple of Hammer films, but I, and Paul, tell me if you think I'm wrong. I can't think of any previous or any Hammer movie prior to this one that did seem to be as intentionally funny. I mean, there were a couple of moments like, you know, there have been the occasional pub scene or whatever where they try and have like a minor gag or a laugh or a you know a character being a little goofy. But yeah. with this one, with Tom Bailey and with Mad Peter, it seems like they're really kind of leaning hard on levity early on before it's kind of dropped entirely in the back half of the film. Uh, I I mean I, I guess it depends if you think it's intentional or not because I even think that Franklin like I wrote in my notes. I was like, he has no emotion. It's like the guy that plays Franklin. He's like he's. It's like he's in a Yorgos Lanthimos film where he's just talking like he. He's like has no emotion whatsoever. But it, it comes across as funny to me as opposed to menacing. But maybe that was the intention. I don't know. Well, and the Doctor Franklin character is really interesting because in the original script he was like a black-hearted villain. Like he was. He was like pure evil he was the villain of the movie and like for example in in the uh or even the when they added the opening it, it was mm-hmm. so close to filming that he was that bad that like in the scene where uh you know there's the death at the in the opening before the credits you then see him grab his cane go into the back room and start beating his daughter like that was going to be the opening of the movie is that he just like viciously beats her with his cane like, so I'm, I'm not saying I wanted to see that, but wouldn't it make more sense thematically? And again, I, I say this as someone who yeah. likes this movie. But yeah. for it to be, oh, like, it's not the reptile who's the villain, it's the human that's the villain. Yes. Like, that would it make would more have. sense. I think it would have been great to have him. And could, because it feels like he's teetering on that level of evil throughout the film, but he never goes all the way. Yeah. And that then would have watered it, down sort of, the, the sort of racist feel of the movie, too, if he... Yes. We're a bit more villainous. Well, I think that's why it feels so racist is because like you get the impression that you're supposed to have sort of empathy for him. him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that just doesn't really ring true with the kinds of things that he's doing and has done. Well, they literally give him, I mean, it's, it's a gag. I mean, it's near the end of the movie. It's long past the, 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 the page 15 of the script, but they (laughs) give Franklin an honest to God, save the cat moment. In the final act of the film. Yeah. He literally saves a cat. (laughs) He started that trend. That's where it came from. (laughs) I wonder. I do do imagine them just like putting this cat in the corner, like blowing smoke at it. Like, meow, cat, meow. (laughs) Luckily, my kids never figured out that like the animals were there to be like her food. And but like throughout the film, my my daughter kept going like, "Why does she have all those animals? What are, are those her pets?" Like, and I'm just like, "Yep, they're her pets." Because my my that. kids are very animal focused, and had they like made that realization, it would have completely crushed their entire um, world. I'm sorry. Also, logic question. So she's like, when they go to the this is way earlier in the film, but when they walk to the fucking the two miles to the cottage, she's like, "Okay, but I'm taking the cat," but she's carrying in this little cage. I'm like, "You're." Walking two miles, holding this cat thing, probably shaking the fuck out of it. And this cat's all, like, traumatized. 
it is it is sad to think about that. That is you're very a frail true. waif of a woman, lady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess they gave her some agency, but yeah, I mean, and and she really does. I mean, she becomes sort of the hero in the final act in a way. Like she's the one who, yeah, snatch it away from her. They give her agency by having her be the heroine in the final act. She's the one who goes to the house. She's the one who, who gets wrapped up in the act. And then what do they do? They lock her in a room and they make her a woman in jeopardy for a man to save. Like it no, just it's... and you're right. And, and they make her look stupid because she is standing in front of a window that she can jump out of. <laughs> yeah, she even puts her hands against the window. Like she's kind of like, "What could I possibly do to get through this?" And then kind of gives in up a window. But could I possibly? Yeah, for a window. It's it's a it's a weird decision to get her that, that far and then to to, to back off. As hell, Mad Peter's final moments. That that makeup is 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 foaming, grisly as the makeup at the mouth. Yeah, and and his appearance in that window is a really good. Like, I mean, I, I think it's set up as a jump scare. To be honest, I, I think it it works really well. Yeah, I I was very impressed with how upsetting this film. And the whole time I'm thinking like. If I saw this guy and I didn't know what was wrong with him, the last thing I'd do is want him in my house and, like, interacting with him. Because he looks like he has the most, like, horrific disease. Like, you know, this is almost like, like the opening scene in uh, Cabin Fever. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. If this was a Cabin Fever situation, they would have, like, kicked him out the door and lit him on fire, right? All right, and full disclosure for y'all's listeners, again, I'm not watching this with y'all, so I'm, like, going with what, what y'all are seeing. But according to my notes, one of the next things we're about to see is Valerie holding a candle in a room that is very brightly lit. <laughs> we're just past That's that. Impressive. We are, uh... That's impressive. That's that, impressive. Although you, you missed close. it by a second. <laughs> that, that's hilarious. Right now, <laughs> our... Uh... <laughs> right now, that's our impressive hero is... Uh talking to Franklin who are either of you familiar with the British actor Rafe Spall? Uh, that sounds really f- it, Was he in Harry Potter? No, wait, wait, wait. Uh, probably. He was, uh, he was in Life of Pi. He was in uh, a couple of Edgar Wright movies. Um, great actor. I just, it, it's one of those weird things where Franklin looks like Rafe Spall aged up about 30 years. Isn't but, he- uh, Rafe he, Spall's in, like, hot fuzz, right? Like, he, yep. uh, he's one of the he, cops with, um, yeah. oh, what's his name? I love him. Uh, Patty Considine. He's the bad guy in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Gotcha. No, that's uh, Jurassic that's World true. Movies. He does kind of look Ains like me. him. <laughs> I want to love the Jurassic World movie so much, but they don't want to love me. I prefer that second one. Second the second one is definitely leaps and bounds better than the first, but even then I was just kind of like, man. The first you know, one I, I'm not a huge fan of. I think I liked the first one when I saw it in theaters, but on a rewatch on Blu-ray I was kind of like, ugh. But for, sorry, not to divert too much, but like for me, the, the thing that those movies are missing is at least one, at least one 
really terrifying scene like let's say the kitchen scene from the first movie yes. or or like the second one has the 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 raptors in the cornfield uh the third one has the river scene like there's not a a, a true horror scene in any of those movies yeah. except really the gothic horror of the second one with the climax is kind of fun but even then it, like, it doesn't lean into the horror enough it keeps trying to make it actiony yeah. well there is the one character in the first movie i mean it's not a horror set piece, but it's just a very quick moment, and everyone lost their minds at it. They were like, it's so mean when the one woman is picked up and uh, then dropped yeah. into the pool, and then she was the nicest character, and she was so callously done away with them. Like, it's 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 in part a horror movie. It's that, yeah. that, that shit happens. Like, uh, it's... Fun fact, if you that, felt that something, lady that's played, what they wanted. That lady plays Lena Luthor on Supergirl now, so she's uh, doing well for herself. I love her. She was also uh, the lead in the first season of Slasher. Slasher. And she was in. Uh, she was in the woefully underrated uh, uh, NBC show Dracula, which only ran for a season with yeah, Jonathan Myers. Um, she's a woman who, um, when she tries to do an American accent, it is not very good. Um, specifically in that season of Slasher that she's in, but um, with Supergirl, yeah. it starts bad, and then she just gets progressively better and better with her American accent as the show progresses. <laughs> Love it. I, I Oh, by the way, a moment ago you mentioned that you didn't want to digress too much. At about this point in the commentaries, we start going all over the place, so please, digress all you care to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, have, have we passed the I was a professional semen line? Because I got a good laugh out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I giggled. I, I wasn't proud of myself, but I did. <laughs> I wonder, like, how many funerals are in hammer movies like every hammer movie has at least two funerals in it We're... probably more funerals than pubs <laughs> yeah as, and as much as we say pubs. the hammer pub is a staple i feel like the hammer funeral so, is... so that's what i was gonna ask so y'all, y'all call it the hammer pub because i'm assuming there's a pub in every movie is that the thing yeah uh, basically so... i guess not every single hammer movie but like 95 percent of them have right like a, a pretty pivotal pub scene, usually in the first act, almost like, you know, kind of the American werewolf in London situation where, you know, our characters enter into a local pub. They're kind of looked at as the others, you know, the outsiders They're they're there's some sort of harbinger kind of moment. Um, and yet they still sort of persevere and, and enter into whatever situation they're going to, to do. <laughs> Trace, to tell you a bit about the history of the podcast, um, I <laughs> it started out <laughs> as a side project for Scream Addicts called Getting Hammered with Hammer. Right. And uh, basically every episode, uh, it, it, Paul and I would take turns, and uh, given what the movie was, we would, uh, we would design a drinking game and choose the drink for the week. And um, we would get progressively sloshed as the movie went on. And this was a blast. For about six or seven episodes. I was so drunk on one episode, <laughs> I forgot to save it, and we lost the entire three-hour talk. Oh, my God. Yep. We sure <laughs> did. On, uh, so we had to talk, which was fine because... Well, it wasn't fine. I, I think Paul still harbors a little resentment. That's completely no, it's okay. Fine. But, uh, <laughs> it's fine. But we had to talk Super about... okay with it. <laughs> we had to talk Brides of Dracula twice. And then Curse of the Werewolf, I it was my fault, Trace. It was my fault mm. entirely. Uh-huh. 
I chose Midori margaritas uh, to make. Uh. So that's a lot of tequila. And um, we did Curse of the Werewolf. And it um, is so we did the drinking game and I made a massive picture of them. Right. And uh, so we made it through the drinking game and we were pretty well lit by the end of that. But then I had all this margarita left over still. And so Paul and I just kept talking and I kept drinking and um, it nearly killed me. I think <laughs> bad hangover. Um, I, n- hangover doesn't quite cover it. I think I actually, I all joking aside, I think alcohol poisoning was, was a possibility that morning. I instacarted hydrogen water to my front door and like crackers (laughs) and it it was bad. It was a bad couple of days (laughs) after that. So I sort of messaged Paul and I was like, Paul, I don't know if we can do this anymore. He he called me. He's like, I think I have to quit the podcast. (laughs) I like, floated right. ideas. I was like, Paul, you're three years younger, so maybe you can handle it. Uh, do you want to host the podcast with other like guest co-hosts? Like it got to that point. And then Paul was eventually is just like, Look, why don't we just drink what we want while watching the <laughs> It's like we don't have up. to drink till we almost die, Jinx. We could just have a few beers. <laughs> I was like, Paul, no. Paul, it's called getting hammered with hammer. We have to respect the integrity of the concept. And then I thought about it. I think Paul actually suggested, he was like, why don't we just call it a hammer pub? And, do, and I was like, okay, all right. There you That's go. Cool. So, yeah. so yeah. So this is what we're doing now. And now I'm not even doing that. I'm teetotaling tonight. So, yeah. uh, well, I'm drinking. I am drinking. So I'm, I'm there for you. I had one drink beforehand. Uh, podcasting while drunk is, I don't do it too often on our show. Um, mostly because we, the first time we had my husband on, so I know you did last summer was the second one, but the first one was the X-Files, I want to believe, the second X-Files movie. And movie. it's not a good movie. But um, the, <laughs> it, the, 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 the killer is very problematic, possibly homophobic, possibly transphobic, maybe both, I don't know. Um, <laughs> really? Oh, I, God. Oh, I my made... God, I just... Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, 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 it's not great. Um, but I, I made myself, like, a basically a tumbler full of straight whiskey, like, just bourbon. And I was good for the first half of it. And the second half, I was borderline unintelligible, which is really shitty because we actually had some good conversations about, like, the implications of the villain in that movie. But I was yeah. editing it. I, I swear to you, I cut out 20 minutes of audio because you could not understand what I was saying. <laughs> There are episodes of getting hammered with hammer. I wish that I could cut out like long stretches. Paul, I'll tell you, uh, I, I overshare when I drink a lot. Uh, I found As Jinx gets uh, a little bit emotional. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, I, you know, I just, I just have a few beers. I never get like too crazy. I just, you know, I, I have like a couple beers. I get like tipsy is, is probably, it's more getting right. tipsy with hammer for me. Yeah. <laughs> We need to say that we need to, you know, the sequel podcast will need to be like, okay, we'll need to do Amicus Anonymous. Well, I was going to say Amicus do, uh, is get... the next podcast. That's the yeah, and then uh, then getting tipsy with Tygon, probably. Well, I so. I actually my my pitch would be let's do AIP. I think we should do AIP after Amicus. What's what's AIP? American That'd International be... Pictures. Well, I was I was looking up uh, synonyms for tipsy. You got Mary, Mellow, Tiddly, Squiffy, and Tipsy. 
So Paul, in our case, in our case, AIP, would that be Alcoholics International Publicans, maybe? Something like that? Yes, yes. Hey, wow, you just you just made that work. But then we could do all of the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe adaptations with Vincent Price. And I would be <laughs> very into that. Sorry, Trisha. I'm getting I'm getting like kind of nerdy and off topic. No, I don't know. That's I mean that's what your podcast is. All all movie podcasts are inherently nerdy. That is true. That is Trace, true. you're blowing my mind a little bit with I Want to Believe. I feel like I need to go back and revisit that movie because it's been a while. I, I remember so, that episode, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was very entertaining though for what it's worth. I I, I very much enjoyed listening to it. Oh, I, I cleaned it up as best as I could, and but I, I always threaten to release the unrated cut, which is just me. <laughs> oh, like the please, 20, the twenty minutes at that least, I cut at out. least put it on your Patreon. <laughs> like just put I, it on the Patreon. I, and... I've I've considered it before, but um, but yeah. No, it's uh, it's just one of those. Yeah, I, I actually don't even hate the movie. I think it's uh, it's fine. But I say that as someone who has seen maybe three episodes of the X Files in his entire life. Yeah, um, I, I I've only seen the first like three or four seasons, and it was like when they aired. Yeah. So I don't have some huge knowledge of it or anything. Like that. But I did see the movies, and I thought they were you know they were fun. I mean, it's I just, been a while. I wasn't allowed to watch it because I mean I. I was born in 89, so when the show premiered, sure. I was five. And yeah. it was yeah. it was The X-Files, Buffy, and The Simpsons, and Married with Children. Those are the shows I couldn't watch. Oh, and okay. For some reason, though, my parents took me to go see the first X-Files movie in theaters. None of us had seen a single episode <laughs> of the show. That's pretty funny. <laughs> we just all went to go see The X-Files movie. And we walked out, and my parents were like, I didn't really get that. And I was like, well, it is, you know... <laughs> It's five seasons into a TV show. show. <laughs> you, you would think, though, that the movie, like, they they made this big summer blockbuster, like, event film out yeah. of it. You would think they would want to draw in more viewers just based on that. You know, it, it, make that a great jumping on point for new viewers and then send them on into the television show, you know, having made new fans. And instead, nope. It's, well, it's literally like... You know, if if season five ended at episode twenty two, then that movie is like a one hundred and fifty million dollar episode twenty three. Like it, it's literally it, as it as like impenetrable. It felt like a season finale. I remember but, but, that. Like, but that that's what I want to believe was supposed to be. I want to believe was supposed to be a standalone. Like, hey, we're gonna jump off. Like, people can come in. They don't have to know anything about it. They can just watch this movie. It's standalone. And then people fucking hated it because again, it was after what nine seasons of the show, and they were like, what right. the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. I yeah. one of the best viewing experiences I've ever had in my life. Uh, just because I I grew up with the X Files, but I kind of tuned out after a while. Uh, I didn't even see the movie in theaters, what? even though I had I had dug the first couple of seasons. But I wound up not long after I want to believe was out of theaters. I I bought all the seasons on DVD and I marathoned them. It took me watching nothing else two and a half months to basically go through those after work every day, and I had such a blast just kind of going on that journey with those characters. I absolutely loved it. And uh, I don't know. I always, I always had a soft spot for, I want to believe because it felt like one of those, you know, my favorite episodes of the TV show weren't the mythos episodes, you know, the aliens and the black right. oil and all of that. It was the standalone episodes. It was the cold shack episodes, the monster of the week episodes that were, you know, the, the most fun to me. So I want to believe I was just really purely enjoyable for that reason. And also just seeing the characters, 
a decade after we'd last seen them and it kind of catching up with them. I, I really appreciated all of that. So, that's, but that's like with me, I, I was working at an AMC theaters when that movie came out. It was Oh eight, I think was when it was. And so I just stayed after a shift and I watched the X-Files. I want to believe again, having only seen the first movie and maybe two episodes <laughs> of the show prior. <laughs> and I thought it was fine. I remember it got shit reviews and even yep. analyzing it for the show. There are, again, there are problematic elements with the villain. Um, but I I don't view that really as like, oh, it's detrimental to the film, whereas it makes it kind of more interesting to talk about. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. You know, it's I, I definitely need to rewatch it through that lens. And it's been ages since I've seen it. But yeah, as soon as you mentioned that, I was just kind of like, what? What do you I, I don't. Oh, I, uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. again, I watched it two years ago and I already kind of forgot what the elements were that were problematic. But it's something to do with putting a body together with female parts. Um, but it's a man the head on the female body so that's where it gets kind of murky yeah yeah i that's my problem with that movie is i it's it was very forgettable for me like i saw it and then i just kind of immediately didn't remember it um so i i, I probably need to just give it another watch yeah um th- i have i have I a weird billy connelly in random thing about the movie oh oh wait i'm sorry also yeah because billy connelly plays a rapist a, a priest who raped boys and like the film kind of asks you to empathize with him. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that, yeah. that's also that's another element of it. That's, that's kind of a problem. Yeah, I could that is it's it, yeah that is although yeah. I, <laughs> sorry, I was just gonna say no. When it came to that, I did like his performance, and I liked that. Mm-hmm. You know, the the movie never forgives him, but it does. It just, it's a weird balance, and I always thought that it was kind of interesting that yeah. the characters never forgive him, but it's still kind of a weird redemptive like arc that he has in a strange way yeah, like it's it, like a skull scully never forgives him and she gives him that line where it's like oh well i wasn't buggering altar boys um or whatever and i feel like the movie's trying to make it like oh that that that's okay like, we're gonna like that that's enough like that's enough for her to be down on him but the movie itself doesn't always feel like it's down on him <laughs> yeah so not to not to deviate back to the movie no, we're watching. No, no. <laughs> What's happening Paul now? What's happening? Okay, so I just I think just this a, is a, a good scene to to jump into. So this is the scene where Anna the sits sitar. down with the sitar. Yes. <laughs> so I think we definitely need to talk about this. Um, so thoughts on the scene? I have thoughts, but I want to hear other people's thoughts. <laughs> Um, I mean, so my, cause I, I saw this in the bonus features too, where it was kind of like, you don't know if this actress is mixed race or I'm sorry, I don't know if the actress, but if the character is meant to be mixed race or not, but it's implied right. that she is. Um, so it might be like less cultural appropriation <laughs> at first glance. I don't know. <laughs> well, and I mean, she's playing the song that plays before the reptile strikes. So mm-hmm. like, that's clearly why, like, the father is getting progressively more upset, but also like there's this rebellious way. She's kind of looking at him like yeah. this sort of like challenging way. And and this scene sort of suggests like that she's maybe like proud of who she is in a way that doesn't come through in other scenes. I think this is where some of the character confusion comes into play. Um, but I also, I really love the way it's shot. Um, I mean, it's all like nothing's motivated by anything other than like mood and what the director wants you to feel. It's it's a very visual performance based sequence. And I like how frantic it gets. 
And, I, and it's also the first time we really see uh, Dr. Franklin kind of like lose himself yeah. in like the anger well, that he has. I, okay. Again, may, tell me if y'all think I'm off base here. Did y'all get like a sexual tension between father and daughter here? A little bit. It, it's it's a little weird, yeah. Yeah. There's some weird shit going on there. And I think that scene, I think it's like one of the most like telling scenes in the movie. And that's why I think it would have made so much more sense to push him more yeah. into villainy. I know. Um, yeah, it, it almost feels like a shot, like a scene left over from that script in a way. Could you like, imagine? I mean, if they had just been more blatant, if the melee is perhaps her father... And he is more, you know, her caretaker in a way, but, you know, his designs on her are maybe a little less than wholesome, you know, it's... Yeah, I I feel like maybe he had her out of wedlock when he was in, you know, this other country, uh, sort of infiltrating these cultures and writing about, you know, these things when he wasn't supposed to be. And that's part of his appropriation is that he, you know, wanted to even, like have a child well have a child there and then make it in, make her into what he felt a person should be as opposed to you know honoring and respecting who she actually was hmm. but it, but the problem is this is all subtext and you know well, yeah, at point it becomes really reachy you know it's like i'm just no, reaching yeah, for all these crazy it, 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 it's up things. to us to figure out what's going on because the film doesn't give anna anything to do like right. we, th- this is really her last like big scene that really is. I mean, I think that involves her because after this, she just sheds her skin and she sleeps for a bit. Yeah, right. And that's why I latch onto that scene so much is like her the ex- the look she's exchanging with Doctor Franklin in that scene are about as much character development as we get. <laughs> yeah, because everything else is her just kind of like cryptically communicating. Uh, with Valerie and like that's not enough like we we don't really know what she's ever trying to tell her yeah I wonder you know you mentioned that it was uh you know very much like a werewolf story I wonder if there isn't a version of the story that could be told entirely without the Spaldings even you know that the very much places Anna as being our lead you know much in the way that you know she could be our Larry Talbot in a way um but it just the the movie has no interest in her as a person I don't think yeah. yeah. Do you think it's just, okay? So again, educate me here. Does Hammer like humanize its monsters normally? Does it give them empathy, or is it like no, they're the monster? Not with Dracula, but always with um, the creatures in the Frankenstein films. Mm. Yeah, uh, it, it typically does humanize the monster for sure. In fact, usually it's what you said, Trace, where the monster in the movie is typically the the human. Right. You know, like like Frankenstein, that's one of the interesting things about the Frankenstein franchise is that he is the monster. Um, and, you know, Dracula. Yeah, Dracula is definitely never uh, empathetic. Um, but in every monster film, you know, Curse of the Werewolf, particularly, I mean, that is yeah. very much a movie where, um, you know, Oliver Reed's werewolf character is is the, is the victim in all of this. And the mummy um, films, even. You know, sure. I, yeah, yeah, very true. To a lesser degree, because we don't. But really the mummy films also much, have but... like no continuity; they're just four separate movies. Yeah, this one, this one is. Yeah, they don't really seem to give much of a damn about her. 
Which is a shame because honestly, I really like Pierce's performance, like the little we get of her, and I do want to know more about the character. So on that level, the movie's doing a good job of making me care about her with the absolute bare minimum of effort. <laughs> but but that, that's the missed opportunity there, which I mean that's like cause these these movies don't like they don't have remakes you know no one's clamoring for hair, hammer horror remakes but i actually think if you take some of the one-offs like the the ones that aren't Vam, uh dracula the ones that aren't werewolf or frankenstein like you could remake something like the reptile and kind of give it like a fun edge and do more with it yeah i really the reptile think that would that's make for what, a hell of a remake uh, I, I think certainly that's what hammer one. that that's how hammer should reinvent itself it should, I mean, I, cause Hammer's still around. Like they should remake yeah. some of these properties and they have so much. There's so many movies they made that could easily be brought into, you know, the modern day. And no, no one's going to, cause I mean, I'm sure pe- people like y'all will, cause y'all have seen the movies. Y'all know Hammer, but like no main, like no like, uh, horror fans. They'd be like, Oh, like that, that original is so sacred, that Hammer horror film that no one knows about. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, you're right. And even, and frankly, I would just be happy to see it like in the zeitgeist. Like I wouldn't even, they could do whatever. And I'd be just happy it's there. Well, and but... whenever it comes to remakes, I'm always kind of like, you know what? The worst thing that happens, I mean, sorry, the best case scenario is it, a remake will bring people to the original film i yeah, always think that's true. something that, that, that is the if nothing else that's something that's very positive about a remake is that it makes people go seek seek out the original film yeah that's very true yeah and this movie like combines a lot of lore too because there's also sort of the the vampiric nature of the bite you know mm-hmm. it's it's uh and and that feels very it, it feels like a movie informed by all the hammer films that had come out before it in a way it's like an amalgam of mythologies. Yeah. I do like, this is a scene. So there's a lot of rain in this movie, um, <laughs> which differentiates it from uh plague of the zombies, because all of these sets are the same sets. Like if you right. watch this, a plague of the zombies <laughs> next to each other, it's actually kind of like, Oh, okay. You didn't even, <laughs> you didn't even try. Did you? Okay. All right. Great. I mean, awesome. this scene just, is just the setting the of places. the, <laughs> the the best set piece in Plague of the Zombies. And, yes, uh, right, right. And, well, I mean, and that's not to like shit on Bernard Robinson and like his set design because he he does a great job. But it's like this was shot like I think they said it was like less than a week later is when they started shooting this. So there wasn't really much time to uh, to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. But uh, I actually think the rain does make a difference. Um, it does make it look like sort of a different place and gives it a different feel. And I thought that was kind of a cool idea. I'll take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I the uh, I mean, Gilling, okay. Gilling is a hell of a director. He shoots a beautiful movie with this and with Plague. I mean, they're both gorgeously made films. Um, you know, it's just honestly, I Paul, we've watched a lot of Hammer films together <laughs> up until this point. Has there been a more ineffectual hero than Harry Spaulding? Well, okay. Who who is the main character of this movie? That's well, like okay. Uh, quick question: How did I miss this? How does Harry recover from the bite? Yeah, that that whole thing is kind of bullshit. He, I all that really the what the film posits is that she cuts the wound, and therefore, I guess we're supposed to assume the poison is sort of let out. Okay, movie. Uh, yeah. 
it's a shitty kind of throwaway because when he was first bit i was actually kind of psyched because like oh cool yeah they're gonna kill this guy like that's that's badass that's an interesting turn that i didn't see and i was like oh this is a great opportunity for michael ripper to kind of emerge as the film's protagonist you yeah. know whereas he seemed like more of a side character that would and... be a better film I agree. And I think in some ways it kind of like wants its cake and it wants to eat it too, because it sort of treats Ripper in that manner because Ripper keeps coming back into the film in ways that a normal supporting character in a movie like this wouldn't, especially in Hammer, because they don't normally do that. I was quite surprised at how often Bailey came back into this film. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, there should have been. not seem like he would be that important. Mm-hmm. Give me a Publican Bailey franchise. The man deserves spinoffs. Right? He's like the Van Helsing of this movie. He, y- yes! He ab- he 100% is this film's Van Helsing. Yeah. And 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 normally I would say, oh, I wish that had been that role had been played by Peter Cushing, but I think Ripper does a great job. I think nice. Ripper really brings a lot to that role. He's fantastic. He's he's the movie's secret weapon, certainly, because well, he is... You're right, Paul, and even asking the question, who's the film's lead character? I can tell you who I think the movie thinks its lead character is, and that's certainly Spaulding, but mm-hmm. no, I, I don't think the movie really has much in the way of a lead character, but I think the closest we get to an actual hero is is Tom Bailey. And it's not often that I say I wanted that movie to be longer, but... I, I do wish there were like even like ten to fifteen minutes of extra screen time because it, yeah it does feel like there's this protagonist problem we have it's like it's too much spread out between too many characters to where yeah. we don't get a full grasp of I mean we know who they are obviously but like there's no one really for us to latch onto and I think normally we'd be like okay cool well, we're gonna latch onto the quote unquote mon- villain which is the monster of the piece but this movie really doesn't care about that either. Um, and I say again, I say as someone who enjoyed this movie, um, but when you have to turn that critical lens on, it's like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, and no, you're right. And I mean, Hammer does tend to suffer from like in, like very fast climaxes. Oh, that often uh, <laughs> yes rely very heavily <laughs> on exposition through dialogue. <laughs> I'm a child. I'm sorry. I know it's okay. The right, last. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I, I kind of like walked right into that one, so it's okay. That's but, but you're not incorrect. No, the the last five minutes of this movie is an enormous exposition speech, and then fire roll credits. Like that yes. is what this yeah, movie it's, is. It's it's over in a, in a in a second, and and you don't really have a lot of time to digest like the ending of the film, and and they wait to reveal so much in this particular movie. They wait to reveal so much information. Yeah. Until that five minutes, that when it ends, you're it's kind of like whiplash. But see, you're like, okay, wait, wait, wouldn't what? it work? Wouldn't it work better if that prologue didn't exist, <laughs> or or, yeah. or, or, yeah. or if that guy was killed outside of the mansion, so you didn't really know that 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 the monster was connected to the mansion at all? Yes, yeah. There yeah. should have been more mystique, and I, I also just think, like we were talking about earlier, Doctor Franklin should have been a very a much more clearly villainous. Yeah, uh, a character. Um, well, but that's why you have the Malay there, right? Because the Malay, yeah. the film is positing, oh, like he's under the like not the spell really, but like he he's doing this so the Malay doesn't like retaliate against him or something. Right, right. Like he's 
Yeah. Well, he's he's wrong to this 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 nameless this foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> British colonialism strikes again. I, I will give the movie credit, though. Marnie Maitland, who plays the Malay, he is an Anglo-Indian actor, so they at least did not whitewash the casting. That is good, because that, that is not always the case with Hammer. Like, yeah. I just watched um, The Abominable Snowman, and, like, there are a lot of characters that are played by, you know white british men that are not supposed to be white british men and it's it's not fun to watch a movie where that's happening and it's it's hard to to look past that but um you know they they yeah but they as it as it went they they got better about that kind of stuff but it was the 60s there was a lot of shitty things happening in entertainment (laughs) But now we have uh, him sneaking into the house in the middle of the night. And... Oh, we're about to get him tripping over a pillow, which is... Oh, with the, the, the snake statue jump scare. <laughs> the snake statue jump scare is a classic. I... <laughs> in a movie called The Reptile. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When I saw the rabbit in the cage, I was immediately immediately reminded of us. Just a little well, bit. I mean, yeah. Just a bit. That's just a tad. That's kind of burned into my 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 mind now whenever I see that. A, a white rabbit in a cage. That opening theme music. Paul, did you like us? I don't know that we've ever talked at length about it. Us? Of course. I love us. That was my favorite movie of the year it came out. Really? Oh, yeah. Jordan, I love, I love us. us. Huh? Jordan Peele's us? Yeah, I love us. Okay. I'm a huge I'm a huge us fan. I like us. <laughs> I I it yeah, I it took me a while to come around on it. I it's weird. I saw Get Out in the theater twice. I, I saw it once and I was like, my God, this is this is fantastic. I saw it twice you know, the second time and I was like, You, no, you would have voted really for Get Out was, for a second term if you could have. For yes, <laughs> for a third. For a third. I I would have gone back and well, I guess I wouldn't have because I didn't. But I saw it twice in the theater and loved it. Um us, I watched the the opening night, like the the Thursday premiere, and I walked out and I was like, "Golly, that was well made, and I liked a lot about it." But eh, you know, it just didn't fully work for me, and I didn't know why. So I watched it four more times in the theater, and um, it, it got a little better each time. So uh, I don't know. There was something. There is still something about that movie that draws me in every time I see it, and I don't. I still don't think it fully works. I think the mythology is a little dodgy. I kind of wish there would be a sequel, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm of your same mind there. Also, like again, kind of a thing where it's like, is the is the ending supposed to be a twist or is it not supposed to be a twist? Because I called that shit way ahead, and I'm not good at doing that, so I have to believe <laughs> that the movie thinks it's a twist. Um, I don't know. I just yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If you... No, I mean, that, that, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I liked. I, I gave it a four out of five for bloody disgusting. So, like, I mean, I, I like it. I just don't love it. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it for me, it just, it just hit me the right way. I, I loved how fiercely original it was. Uh, I loved seeing like a new, big, broad horror idea um, that was something that I hadn't seen before. I mean, mm. yeah, I kind of knew where the movie was going in some ways, but I think that's just a testament to how well written it was, um, well executed and just 
I don't know. I, I, I love the humor mixed with the horror. I just, I, I like everything that Peel sort of does in his movie. I mean, of course, I lo- you know, Get Out. Everyone loves Get Out. But it, it it's it's a movie I've watched, like, many, many times. And I still sort of feel the same things I felt the first time I saw it. And while I may not, I guess I don't feel the same way about Us as I do as Get Out. But that's almost like an impossible standard to hold against any movie. Because Get Out's, you know, that good. Um, but I do think us is above most other movies for me in a lot of ways. I don't know. I just, I did, I did have an immediate like love for it, but I also know other people that didn't. So it's, everybody's going to get hit a certain way with it, but it just landed for me. Well, that's fair. I am surprised that he hasn't announced his follow-up yet. I mean, it seemed like get out hadn't been out for very long at all when us was announced. And now it's kind of like, you know, are you finishing well, that had, trilogy or us, uh, like us had been written? Didn't you write? Didn't he start writing us like before get out even like he, that had been a movie he was ruminating on for many years. So I think that's part of why it came out so quickly. I think he's that. if I recall correctly, he's he has like a con. I don't know if it's a contract or something. Again, this is maybe me just like hearing hearsay and not really knowing for sure. But he has a relationship with Blumhouse. Um and I kind of heard something on the grapevine that was like he's hoping to use Candyman as his third one so he can get out of his deal <laughs> and not make a uh, third film for them. <laughs> interesting. Really? Um, again, that's total hearsay. I don't know for uh, there's no official source there. It's just like something I've kind of heard. Hmm. And so you know, just uh, people noting stuff on Twitter. I mean, it was a very good point. Like I obviously with Get Out concerning race and you know us concerning class. And the fact that the color palettes are, you know, Get Out is predominantly blue and Us is predominantly red. Like, there has to be a white film coming up, you know, uh, uh, sort of putting another aspect of America under the microscope, right? In order to round out that trilogy? That's got to be what's coming at some point. Mm -hmm. Surely, one would think. Yeah, you'd hope so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I mean... Candyman. Candyman... We should have yeah. already seen Candyman in the theater. We we I should already own it on 4K yep. and I've watched it countless times. <laughs> like, damn it! Yeah, I, we're all dying to see Candyman. I, I I'm I'm very excited about that one. That was, it was literally the everyone. most anticipated movie of 2020 for me. No other movie I wanted to see more than Candyman. Halloween Kills. Couldn't wait to see it. Distant second. Yeah, I th- I think with Halloween Kills, I'm just kind of like. I hope it's good. <laughs> like, yeah. I I really do want to see it, but also because I know there's a third one, I'm like, okay, well, this is the second part of a trilogy, so it's like, it's going to yeah. end with a cliffhanger, and I got to wait for the third one to come out, like... Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. that. That's my biggest issue with Halloween Kills, is like, it's it's sort of frustrating in a way that they announced two movies. You know, I mean, it's they, like, they I almost both, wish... But... <laughs> Yeah, I, I almost wish I didn't know because you because like you said, you know, it's going to end. Up, it's not going to feel like its own thing. Yeah. I feel like I feel like it's going to feel like the, part of a bigger thing. And that is never great. Yeah, but like Halloween movies are best when they just kind of do their own crazy whatever yeah, halloween is thing. not is not the lord of the rings <laughs> right yeah. like halloween has never been designed to be that and there hasn't ever been a halloween that was like completely dependent on the next one granted you know there's movies that end in cliffhangers but like in a way that still feels like it completed the story of that film but i don't know i i'm also a big fan of that franchise like 
for warts and all i just love the halloween franchise so like i'm i'm a little more picky on halloween stuff like than i am on other uh you know franchises so i'm, I'm yeah. kind of like nervous about halloween kills but i'm I'm still excited like i'll i'll watch it and give it a go and be fair you think you'll feel better about it over i mean of course we're only guessing what the quality of the actual movie is going to be but once they're complete and you have a complete trilogy that you can watch back to back to back you know once it's one big story i i wonder yeah if... that's kind of what i'm hoping because i mean i i, I the the 2018 one is one that i liked a lot when i saw it, but every time i've watched it since i like it a little bit less um, it doesn't feel like a Halloween movie at all. Yeah, like but it's... but I'm hoping that these new ones, because again, my issue with that one is there's so many things that I that they could have done more with that they didn't, despite the fact that it's almost two hours long. Um, and I'm hoping that the sequels retroactively improve the 2018 one to where like when yeah. you watch the 2018 one, you're like, oh well, I want this, but I get it in like the second or third one, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I liked I liked that one a lot for what it did, but I see all the problems with it, yeah. too. It's one yeah. of those things where I'm kind of like, oh, I love this because I'm a Halloween fan and I'm happy that a big, successful Halloween movie came out and sort of, like, re-energized the series. That makes me really happy, and I like that Jamie Lee Curtis is there. But, like, uh, yeah, there, there, there are some issues. And I, I'm interested to see how they handle this, like, you know, the Sartain stuff in that movie – I, I, I'm curious what the <laughs> legacy of that is going to be. Um, I think that if, plays if better on a rewatch. Yeah, that I'm just I'm I'm, in, I'm interested to see what they do. So we'll 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 give it a go. I know it exists somewhere on a flash drive, waiting to be put onto streaming. I'm sure at this point, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Hey, there's there's a chance it might play theaters by Halloween. We gotta we gotta stay hopeful, right? Yeah, yeah, we're Perhaps. all gonna be fixed by May. We might be back in theaters by late <laughs> May, possibly. I don't know. I don't the last know. movie I saw in a theater was The Invisible Man in February um, last year. Mine was a double feature of The Hunt and Emma. Mm. Nice. I um, I did The Invisible Man on a Thursday, and I did uh, The Lodge on a Sunday, and those were my two last ones, except... I had to go back up north for a stretch, and a buddy of mine runs runs a mom-and-pop movie theater, and he actually, they were not open on Mondays and Tuesdays, so there was nobody else in there, I and they had industrial sanitizer. He wore a mask, he invited me in because I was in town, and we used to work together, and he was like, hey, I'm sure you haven't seen a movie in ages, would you like to come and watch one while I work on the schedules? You know, there's been nobody in the theater for, you know, 40 hours. I've sanitized everything. Would you like to? So I, back in November, I got to see Freaky uh, the week that it came out. And oh, it was, uh, that's awesome. It yeah, was I honestly you the most, me that. this, this, the, the, God, the most therapeutic thing for me over the course of this past year was that, like, I can't tell you what a weird and very strange relief it was to be sitting in a movie theater and to pull my mask off and to just watch a movie that way. It was, it was, it was very bizarre during the trailers. Like I couldn't ease into it. And if I'm, a, if I'm being honest, the, the experience of watching freaky, I felt like I was kind of like at an arm's length between the movie. Like I appreciated it, but I didn't love it. And I didn't know if it was the movie's fault or just how strange the situation was. It's the movie's fault. Oh, I picked it up. <laughs> on Blu-ray, watched it again and loved it. So I, li- much. I like it. I like, uh, I, 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 
I, I have a lot of it. I'm in the, I, I fully accept that I'm in the minority on Freaky. I, I don't dislike it. It's just aggressively <laughs> fine to me. It is aggressively fine. Sure. I do think it yeah, is strange. I... Like, it is, you know, like, Happy Death Day, you get to the end of it, and it's like, well, there's no way there could be a sequel to this, and yet they found a way. And then See, you get to the end of Freaky, and you would think, like, okay, so this could easily be a franchise starter. All they have to do... Oh, no, okay, no sequel to this one either. Right. I... And I, I love both Happy Death Day movies. The thing is, for me, like I, I, where the Happy Death Day movies for me land the heart, and sure, they're missing the gore because they're PG-13 movies. Freaky is the opposite, where, yeah, it gives me the gore, but like it doesn't nail the heart for me. Like All the stuff with her dad, like it feels so shoehorned in. Um, and like we get the one conversation with her mom in the, in the, in the, in the changing room, but... This and the sister's a fucking piece of work, but like it, none of it really like feels like it's developed well. It feels like it's just there to be like, look, we have heart in this movie, and it doesn't feel true to me. But again, I'm in the minority on that. No, I can see where you're coming from. I wonder if, like, I, I I love the concept and I love the performances. I think it's very well made. I wonder if you aren't right. I, I it in some ways, yeah, it does feel kind of like a uh, a first draft movie. Well, I, I also uh, don't feel like I know the character that um, Catherine Newton plays. Like, I don't know who she is. Whereas Tree and Happy Death Day is such a force of nature. Um, that's true. Yeah, so, I, I, I'll give you that. Yeah, it, it Tree is, the whole the whole thing is sort of a, a dissection of Tree's persona. Like, in Happy Death Day, they, they do, they, they're really smart about it. So they use the, the conceit of, like, time repeating itself to just really get to know this person. Right. Um and 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 Jessica Russ's performance is so fantastic mm-hmm. that she she goes from this loathsome character to somebody that you you care so much about <laughs> you know regardless yeah. of her flaws. Um whereas in Freaky I agree it, you really it's less about the character and more about the joke of the movie. Yeah. Um and I now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm almost like, oh shit, maybe I feel like maybe I agree. I don't know. I mean, but I don't disagree that it's fun. I don't disagree that it's fun. I just, I, I feel like the movie thinks it's doing a lot better character sure. work than it actually yeah. is. I might, that, that's probably pretty true. Um, I, I think for me, it was just that movie came out at a time like in yeah. the pandemic where I just really needed a fun escape kind of movie. For sure. Um, and so, like it, it, it hit me the right way. But I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, we we did just pass the scene. I just quickly comment where Doctor Franklin like flips out upon finding the uh, discarded skin of Anna oh. in her nightgown. Okay, I, I actually just... loved this. I didn't know what this was when I was watching it. I was like, wait, is her, did she lose her head? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, was she decapitated or something? <laughs> but I actually liked seeing That's him lose great. it and, like, beat the shit out of it with his cane. I was like, yeah, put that cane to good use. <laughs> well, <laughs> and it's really, like, it's 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 a parallel sequence to the sitar. You know, it's like him freaking out in the same kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think it's, it's a cool sort of, like, juxtaposition of him sort of, like, kind of wailing on as close to beating his daughter as he could get without beating his daughter, which is what yeah. he really wants to do. Um, and is incredibly revealing to his character. And then we immediately go to the underground sort of cavern layer, which is a really cool set. 
Um, yeah, and that's that a it is. and that's a Brace Studio set, which is also really impressive because that was something that Bernard Robinson just like built inside of the mansion that is Brace Studios, um, with like this cool like bubbling sort of like underground. I don't know what that's supposed to be, but some like bubbling water underground and in the cavern. I don't I, like some sort of hot natural hot spring that's occurring under his mansion. Yeah, I I've always kind of wondered that too. The the I, it's definitely much smaller, but I couldn't help but think to myself when I saw that scene, especially when he walks in at the end. It's just kind of like Indiana Franklin in the Temple of Doom, maybe you know. Can I can I get close to some? It feels like there should be swashbuckling on that set that never actually occurs, even when Franklin walks in with a damn katana. Oh yeah, that's that's the which bit is another. Much. You know that is I would not. Show me Highlander, I don't bat an eye at that. But in this movie, with everything we've already discussed, the idea of, like, white British dude, you know, sort of stalking into the place, wielding a katana, it's just kind of like, oh, guys, come on. Like, like, y'all had to break into another culture. (laughs) (laughs) We we didn't get all of them. Let's get another Asian culture. What's another one? (laughs) Throw it all onto the pile. What's that island? Japan. Let's get Japan now. <laughs> well, I'm like, is it, it's weird to me that you know we're approaching the end of the film. Not very much has been revealed yet. No, <laughs> Phil spends so much time just like holding on Doctor Franklin. Like, there's there's like scenes where he's just sitting in his office and the camera's just sitting on him and he's like contemplating. And I'm like, we don't have time for this. Like, you need to actually get to the meat. And that's when he picks no. up the katana. I was check- <laughs> I was checking the goddamn timestamp and it was just time timestamp. Yeah. Hey, this movie I think is 90 minutes long, maybe 91. Um, his speech is at the 82 minute mark of this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it gives you like seventy percent of what you need to know to what's under to understand what's happening. Uh, like I just cannot. on a base level. Mm. <laughs> you know, it is a little cruel here to give Valerie like this moment where, you know, she's got the cloak and she's, you know, she's 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 coming to the house, you know, and she's sneaking after, you know, the 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 villain of the piece. It's just it feels like the movie has totally given over to her being the heroine, and yet. She's really not. Like, they never let that pay off. They never give her a hero's moment. Well, it's like um, we were saying earlier. Like, you know, it, it seems to try to start to do that until it locks her in the room, which would have been cool. It just doesn't follow through with it. Yeah. Well, I will say the, there is the something cool part, about seeing... Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Paul. No, no. All I was going to say is that the worst part is, like, as a viewer, it feels like it's building to something important. Like her sneaking around and watching things. It's like, oh, this is all, this all has to mean something. Cause mm-hmm. why else would it matter that she's witnessing all these things? And the fact that it doesn't is what I think makes it even more disappointing than just like the misogyny of it all. Um, By the way, you know, cause then many... narratively it feels kind of pointless. How many fucking rooms do we have to watch Franklin pass through before he gets downstairs again? <laughs> there's cat and mouse, and then there's just overkill. And that's well, that was, definitely what that, this is. That's, that's literally just classic hammer filler to make the runtime what it's supposed to be. You and know, it because be, it should be uh, so much cooler the fact that he is. 
I mean, come on. We have a guy in, like, Victorian garb wielding a katana. The Highlander fan in me is kind of tickled by that. Like, I want to see that movie. Give me a Hammer Highlander, possibly. But, no, it's... Oh, and here's the Save the Cat moment. Yep. Here it comes. After all this, this guy decides that he's uh, he's going to save a couple of fuzzy bunny rabbits. And get... Well, and again, when the fire started, and I watched, as I said, my kids were with me when we watched this. They were like, the animals got out before the fire started, right? They, they got out. And I was like, yeah, oh, absolutely. They all escaped. <laughs> like a room full of animals? Yeah, yeah, sure, kids. Yeah, that, that rabbit who just kind of stands there when he lets it out. Yeah, it, it's gone. It, it got out of the cavern. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's the ticket. It's like uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure when he runs out the front of the store wielding the snakes and letting all the animals run out. He saved them all. Fun story. I watched Pee-wee's Big Adventure for the first time this year. I'd never Paul. seen it. Paul, how did you <laughs> not grow up with that film? I have no idea. Wait, I just never Paul, saw it. Paul, I will side with you. I have never seen Pee-wee anything. I've never <gasps> seen anything Pee-wee's done. No, and Trace, I'm the exact same way. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is the only Pee-wee thing I've ever seen. And I watched it for the first time this year just because, like, you know, I'd heard so much about it. I was like, well, it's, and it was streaming somewhere and I just put it on. It was, it was funny. It's fine. It, it is. I mean, again, I said this to someone who's not seen any of them. I just don't think they're for me. <laughs> it does not, nothing yeah, about it looks appealing to me. That. I totally get that. Yeah. I'm, I'm in that camp. And now we I, have uh, the, uh, the I, I, would, I would launch into my history with that character and how much I used to watch him as a child, but we're close to the end of the movie. And I don't feel we can bear that degression. Well, we've got a we've got a pretty intense fight going on between Franklin and Malaz. Look at how out of focus this shit is. Uh, did oh, you notice no, that I saw half that the I, shots I, in the finale are out of focus? I thought it was intentional, but maybe it's by accident. I also wrote in my notes, and maybe maybe we're past the part yet. But I was like, they're taking a role in Zahay, and then on top of Anna's <laughs> body blanket. <laughs> that's that's absolutely what's happening. <laughs> There's no, a... I actually think some of the out of focus stuff was not on purpose, especially like when um, there's a scene where Valerie's like spying in on Franklin in his office when he's like sleeping and she's sort of like out of focus for some of it and kind of like comes slightly into focus. Like it just feels like a rushed shot and they just didn't reshoot it. And of course we have the hammer fire. Every hammer film has to end in fire. You're damn right it does, Paul. Well, and that was stage I, I that was stage two in Bray, where they did all the fires. Every fire scene you've ever seen was stage two. You know, it's weird, Paul, that back in the sixties, you could just set shit on fire, <laughs> and it looks amazing. And why can't they do that anymore? Well, it's dangerous. The best uh, fire scene for me, I love the fire in uh, the Vincent Price House of Wax movie. I think that's got a great fire sequence in it. Hey, you know what? Damn it. That's another. The House of Wax remake, the the Dark Castle remake in Ooh, 2005 fuck yeah. is fucking fantastic. Oh, it's a great, it's a great remake. Yeah. Loads yeah. of practical fire. I mean, yeah, the yeah. house gets a little yeah, CG right. at points, but there's a lot of great practical stuff. My point is, is that I have seen movies. It would be nothing to throw up a couple of fire bars. You know, and just light some shit on fire. And instead they go CG and it always pulls me out of the movie. I think one of the most... I, I nearly threw my coke at the screen when I was watching uh, Sinister 2. Uh, when the house catches fire and they cut to that wide shot. And I'm like, really? 
guys. You couldn't yeah. even uh, couldn't afford to light a house on mm. fire. We're we're at the uh, exposition. Not as bad scene, as by the way. Not oh, as bad as yeah. CG blood, but still. Let me see, let me yeah, see. what did I what did I write for this? I said exposition of the eighty two minute mark. Franklin was studying secret societies in Borneo and Malaysia, the Snake People. He discovered their secret and returned to Singapore to write up his investigation. A few weeks later, Anna disappeared. He thought it was Chinese people. <laughs> <laughs> Three weeks later, she was returned unhurt with no idea what had happened to her. He brought her to the mansion because the sulfur keeps her warm in the winter. Every winter, Anna sheds her skin like a reptile and goes into a deep sleep. The cold will kill her. Okay. <laughs> Can I? Okay, so... Here, here's, here's a ludicrous amount of exposition really, really quickly so this movie really makes sense. Really fast. The but end. he is willing to let her burn, can I ask you, this is not like a James Bond villain moment where the villains like the delight in their villainy. They want to prove how much smarter they are than the leading man, you know, or the hero, and so they just out with it all of their big plan, right? What is the point? What does Franklin gain here from dropping all of this? Um, I mean, in this context, it feels like a desperate confession, because I think he we're supposed to believe he's felt guilty about this, and this is his opportunity to get it off his chest. Like, in the sort of, like, this character is somewhat of a... The movie wants us to feel for him, which I don't. But, like, I think it's intentionally trying to accomplish that. Paul, can I ask you something? And I think the man here who's playing Dr. Franklin, Noel Willman, I think he's a fine actor. He's if fine, you took, yeah. If you took this exact same movie, didn't change a frame or a word... I know what you're going to say. You know exactly what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. If it would you be plunked, better. If you plunked Peter Cushing <laughs> yeah, I know, I into know. that role, would you not feel more for him? Would it not be more successful? Well, that's not fair because it's Peter Cushing. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course I'd like him more. But at you the know, same time, I like I sometimes more, feel bizarre levels that... of empathy for freaking Frankenstein, Baron von, von Frankenstein, and like he's a piece of shit. <laughs> That man's yeah. a bastard. Like he does everything terrible, and I still care about him because it's Peter Cushing's performance is so fantastic. Yep, I agree. Although, do you not feel as though Peter Cushing would have been smart enough to tell the filmmakers, like maybe? Well, we yeah, he would have done it differently. Like, yeah, that's the other thing. I like his performance would have been a totally different thing. Hey, he uh, hey, Harry! It's time to wake up and be the hero in your movie, sir. Miraculously cured Harry. Yeah, in like 24 hours from this like deadly poison. <laughs> well, he's wearing a <laughs> collar. Better that quickly. So and he drank like hot no. chocolate, which by the way, when when Michael Ripper was making the hot chocolate, there's a point where he slips in what I guess are marshmallows, but it looks like two little pills. Like I it looks he like he opened the thing. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, oh my god, is he a bad guy? Is he like a secret bad guy? And he's like slipping him some drugs or something. And my wife was like, they're marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> I felt really dumb. Wait, are they marshmallows? I thought that's that, that, that's what she thought they were because he was making hot chocolate, uh, and he put something in them, and I don't think they were intended to be like they look like little pills. 
because he seems so disappointed when he sees that she hasn't had her hot chocolate, but I don't think it's because he really wanted her to try his hot chocolate. <laughs> like Michael Ripper was actually a bad guy the whole time, but like we never found out because they didn't drink the hot chocolate. Well, maybe like he was trying to, you know, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was trying to roofie them, but not in any weird way. Maybe it was just kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to give a set of these people right. keep them out of trouble. In a I was I was right and I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and this is this is where it it becomes disappointing with how they handle Valerie. Like, oh yeah, she's helpless. Locks her in the room and she's just like, I don't know what to do with myself. Whereas, like a minute ago, she was showing like a strong sense of agency, a, a desire to sort of like solve the mystery and defeat the villain on her own. And then it's just ripped away, and it, it doesn't feel consistent like with the narrative at all. And again, what? in my notes, in all caps, bitch, there's a window right there. <laughs> <laughs> so why is it, do you think, that Anna bites him here? Was she always a threat to him, and he just stopped giving a damn? Or is this was she always able to restrain herself around him, and then at some point, you know, there was one last straw, and she decided to end him here? Well, we don't my, know. <laughs> my opinion is the Malay, they they kind of established that the Malay had some sort of control over her. Because early in the, like, earlier in the film, he sort of, like, is chanting over her. And, and like, th- there's a sense that he helps to control the creature. And that's why he's around. Um, and I think now that he's dead the creature is, like, fully unleashed to do whatever it's going to do. But that's just my making me making shit up. I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's something I... It, watching her come into the room, I get the feeling that, okay, you can see the seams of the makeup, the eyes are a little goofy, sure. she's yeah. too brightly lit, sure. But it's still effective. It's a like, great it's, makeup. Yeah, it's a really strong makeup. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I, I think I think when it comes to like a movie monster, especially from this time period, I feel like you just have to kind of give your way in. Like this makeup, it looks like fake makeup, but it doesn't look bad. Like it's 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 uncanny enough to where I still buy into it, and I'm still invested in the film, and I'm not taken out of my viewing experience. Right. And, and, and I did she feel... hated that makeup. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. She, uh, Jacqueline Pierce, like, is very vocal about like her being claustrophobic and how much she hated the creature makeup. And she sort of like swore off ever doing something like that again. (laughs) Uh, I just looked it up. I was curious to see if she was still with us. She passed away uh, in September of 2018. Yeah. I was going to say it was last couple of years. She passed away, but there's a lot of interviews with her about her time with hammer. (laughs) That's she good, was though. very vocal about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mo- I mean, most people that worked with Hammer have nothing but like really positive things to say about it. Mm-hmm. Which is another she... reason I really love the studio. I just looked it up. Jacqueline Pierce did a lot of big finish stuff for Doctor Who. Hmm. Or rather, how, a lot of Doctor Who stuff for How finish, many but... Hammer movies end with like a place burning down and the final credits just play over the house burning down or like the. 
you know, the mine burning down or whatever it is. Hey, what it works. It's and pretty it definitive. <laughs> now, is this, that, I'm that looking at this, the movie. and part of me thinks that it's a model that's burning, and yet... It, it, I don't know. It doesn't look like a model, but it doesn't look it's real a, it's either. Gotta, it's got to be a model. Because the, the mansion they shot that at was like their neck... That was next door to Bray. A lot of things were shot there. Um... But yeah, that that's like a model of that mansion. But it's a, there's something about the scale of the flames inside of that. If it's a model, then it's just it makes me think that I it must have been massive if it were a model. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they that's it, it looked really good. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the reptile. Um, yeah, overall thoughts, gentlemen, what did you think about this movie? I mean, no, I, I, I like it. It's not like one of my favorite things I've ever seen, but I think it's a fun little movie. It, it definitely has its issues. Again, a lot of racist stuff in there, a lot of xenophobic stuff in there. Um, I wish we had more development for the titular reptile and Anna herself. Like, I wish there was more there. Um, but at the same time, there's kind of a nice atmosphere to this movie that I really dig. And, Paul, how about you? Overall, thumbs up, thumbs down, so-so? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think there's some problematic elements in this movie that stand out a little bit more than some of the movies of its time. Um, I, But I think it's a really tight little horror flick. Um, I, mm-hmm. Like I said, I think it builds tension really well. Um, for my money, and I love Michael Ripper, I think that this is Michael Ripper's best performance. So anybody that's a fan of Hammer probably likes Michael Ripper because he shows up in a lot of Hammer movies. And I think it's worth watching for his turn alone. Great makeup from Ray Ashton. Really great set design. We didn't talk about it, but I like the score a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it's like pretty effective. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think it's a it's a fun Hammer film. It's not I wouldn't rank it towards the top, but it's it's worth checking out. Yeah, I agree with you both. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it, it has its issues, but uh, yeah, it's just it's a fun movie. It's pure entertainment. It works. You know, it's gorgeous. It's well acted. Gilling's direction, I think, is fucking on point. And, um, you know, Michael Ripper's Tom Bailey is just a damn delight. Yeah, agreed. 100 percent agreed. Yeah. All right. So we have been chatting for a while now. Trace, this is the point of the show where we elect to uh, <laughs> usually chat further at length about anything that happens to come to mind. However, that's usually only by virtue of the fact that I'm sloshed and I just can't shut up. <laughs> I, I mentioned that is so that I true. Total... Easy. <laughs> Easy. I can say it. I mean, that's that. not true at all. It's not James. Okay, now you're lying. It's just, it's, yeah, it is what it is. But uh, no, I haven't touched a drop tonight, so uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm fine. So it's entirely up to you two if uh, you would like to continue the conversation with anything that might have sprung to mind, but we didn't have the chance to talk about during the commentary, or we can go ahead and call it an evening. Entirely up to you two. Normally, I would be totally down, but it is edging to midnight where I am right now, so I, I will have to duck out, unfortunately. I completely understand. Plus, you have already recorded this evening, so thank you. This has been like a a, a marathon recording session for you all evening, so thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show and for talking this movie. Really appreciate it. 
Oh my god, no! Thank you all so much for having me on. I mean, I I got so nervous. So you asked, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I didn't even like think to look at what your podcast was, and you sent me the list, and I was like, of movies that we could talk about, and I was like, I've never heard of any of these movies. <laughs> <laughs> so I picked the reptile based solely on the fact that I really like snakes, and I was like, oh, that'll be a fun one. <laughs> I honestly thought that you were That's a fan awesome. of the movie when you mentioned you were just like, uh, yeah, let's go with the reptile. And I was just like, oh, oh, so he's a fan of the reptile. Okay, I haven't well, heard of many fans of the reptile, but sure, yeah, cool. And and like when when we were first talking about guests, like Trace, like you were one of the first people. I was like, oh, Trace, Trace and Joe, because like, I I love well one, I just I love you guys so much. I haven't talked to you in so long. Yeah, fantastic. Um, you know, guys, right? I know. Yeah, and I know that was like one week, but I was like, but you know, it's it's fun to to hang out with you, and like you know, we, we've listen to your podcast all the time so it was, it was really awesome that you agreed to come on so i really appreciate it oh i mean again thank you it's always nice to be asked and just like yeah it's, it's just fun but i i told jinx i was like jinx are you sure you want me on because i don't know Jack <laughs> about hammer horror <laughs> <laughs> no i think that's great i think you know i think we've had a, a wide spectrum of guests on here so far even for you know, Paul, who have we had? Maybe five guests on so far, but we've had sort of novice, you know, Hammer fans, and then we've had, you know, like Died in the Wool Hammer fans and everyone in between. So I think that's a good thing. I I, uh, I would almost like to have somebody on who who maybe isn't even a horror fan at all, but, you know, one of their first would be a Hammer flick. You know, I think that would be, I'd be curious. Well, that's what I, I like I about know. doing podcasts, though. It introduces me to films. I mean, sometimes I get to rewatch films that I love, but it also introduces me to films that I probably never would have watched otherwise, or like, it forces me to yeah. pick something up that I've been wanting to see for a while. Yeah, me too. So I, that, I, I totally agree. And it's it's really fun to talk to people with all kinds of different backgrounds. And yeah, and sometimes, like like you just said, Jinx, like, it's really fun to talk to someone who just has no knowledge of any of it and comes in with a fresh perspective because you never know what someone's going to pick up on. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Trace, where can folks find you at online and uh, what can they keep an eye out for from you in the future? Yeah, so you can find me personally at Trace Thurman. That's my first name, last name with a D in the middle. D is in dog on uh, the Twitters and the Instagrams. Uh, and you can find Horror Queers at Horror Queers on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, also find us on Bloody Disgusting and you can find us Wherever podcasts are found, pretty much. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, I think is one of the things. I don't know. We have like eight of them. Um, but um, yeah, we release a new episode every week on uh, typically a horror film with a queer element. Could be explicitly queer. Or could be something that we just find queer about it. Or has a queer creator or actor in it that we love. Um, and we I, it, we kind of describe it as a combination of like we hate movies mixed with faculty of horror, where we like do like a half analytical approach with academic stuff, and then like half like just kind of joshing around. We let the movie dictate the conversation. So you know, a conversation for scary movie two is going to be a little bit different than a conversation on martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> That is one hell of a double feature, I'm, though. I'm so excited. I'm like halfway through the Scary Movie Two episode right now, so I'm 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 a fan. Ooh. Oh man, that movie does not hold up. But uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, oh, but yeah. But oh, no, I mean, I can only imagine. <laughs> but and again, thank you, thank you all so much for inviting me on. This is super fun. I, I, again, it's nice to just kind of sit and relax and talk about a movie. That's awesome. Thank you again for being on. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right, and Paul, where can folks find you at online? Uh, yeah, I am at the always modest Twitter handle, Paul is great 2000 uh, And uh, yeah, that's where I am, and you can hit me up there and talk about movies. 
All right, and thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.